Well, welcome back to Advocacy Arena's weekly live chat, where we gather to inform and inspire civic engagement each Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Central. And today, February 5th, the first Monday in February, Black History Month, we're here to make some noise and continue our commitment to start the week with good trouble, necessary trouble, to stay informed, inspired, and uplift our civic engagement. And I just wanna thank you all for continuing to join us, to participate and amplify the initiative of Advocacy Arena each week. Um, we have some great guests that I have kind of invited to share with us today. We'll be covering, of course, some Black history, um, with you, but um, our continuing efforts of updating you on important news items and um, events that are going on. And um, I am really, really excited about our conversation today. And I hope that it will be um, inspiring and informative for you as well. And I am so glad that I have my fabulous co-host here with me today um, on this continuing journey. I just can't tell you how grateful I am to have such a fabulous co-host. So at this time, I'm gonna give her an opportunity to say hello. I'm gonna bring a couple of um, speakers that I have asked to uh, share with us today up. One is already here, so excited that she is, T-Bug. And um, Joseph, I see down there, and I know that if he's able, he'll come up. He's going to be sharing some things with us. And so I just want to get our conversation started and allow Soul Sister to greet us. And we're just going to dive right in. I have some things that I want to share with you uh, regarding our um, history, African-American history here in the state of Tennessee, because it has a rich African-American history. And I did you know, a tweet um, about it earlier today. And then um, just kind of bear with me if I'm a little out of sorts, because unfortunately, just before we, I started the space, I, I got some sad news, not unexpected, but a very dear friend of mine lost her mom um, last night. It, it was, you know, something we was expecting, but uh, just to hear it to, um, is you know a whole different thing so i'm still grappling with that but uh, no worries because um she comes from a uh, she is a woman who is uh, very strong in her faith and we belong to the same church so god is good and we know that and um, so i just want to um, ask you guys to um, bear with me and pray for me and and my friend and my family so with that, I'm going to turn it over to my fabulous co-host. Good afternoon, Dee. And um, of course, my heart goes out to you and, and your friend. Um, I know I've been um, hearing and praying about this and with you, and it is never easy regardless of the amount of time you may have to prepare. Death is, uh, brings out our most selfish emotions um, because we miss them and they are no longer here suffering. Um, but it is hard 
and it cannot be dismissed. So my heart is with you today, um, as it is every day, but especially on a day like today. Um, I do want to make sure that I say that. I know you know it. Absolutely. You know, Black History Month coming in hot. I tell you, <laughs> I'm telling you, and, and the, it is <laughs> for sure. And this lady, just just such a dynamite spirit who did so much in her life. Yeah. She she lived a long, rich life and very yeah. vibrant person. So, um, yeah, it's it's all good. And I appreciate um, your your love and, and and your thoughts and your prayers for me. So, and I know that you. Are going to share uh, some um, labor, Black history labor, and um, Joseph is going to share with us. He did a little research for me on the Nevada, um, you know, primary and caucus going on there. And T Bug is here, so glad she's going to share some interesting um, information with um, Oregon and the Senate there. And um, later, of course, we had Mark coming in to share with us on some uh, Black history figures and some legal updates. And Geechee will be joining us as well to share um, some information on the South Carolina uh, primary and some rich Black history. So, I, like I said, I am looking forward <laughs> to an awesome conversation today. And I just want to thank you all for being here with us and um, ask that you share and retweet the space. So, go ahead, my dear, and um, share with us um, what you will. Uh, and Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, I I just want to say that um, it's it's really been a pleasure uh, to have Dr. Marshall uh, as as a person that that's in our in our lives and definitely one that uh, continues to support us and and definitely me. Um, she introduced the topic of the washerwomen in one of the spaces before I do recall that. And she reminded me of um, watching a PBS special, a documentary called Black America Through the Grapevine. And it was just phenomenal and amazing. And I really have to say thank you to her for, for always being um an immeasurable knowledge of, of living black history, 365 days a year. She is um, irreplaceable. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> seriously. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I there are many um, historical figures that we're going to be focusing on throughout this uh, month and moving forward. But this story just really kind of struck me because um, it, it dealt with labor and it, it's so undervalued um, as a history of uh, the beginnings of a labor movement that, of course, was started because Black women decided enough is enough. So in the summer of 1881, about 20 women in Atlanta formed something called the Washing Society. You know, it's uh, it was a collective voice, and they wanted to demand better wages and treatment. Um, these women initiated a strike on July 19th of 1881, and by the third week, 
they had 3,000 other women join the strike. And they were fighting for dignity in their work uh, with United Voice, the humble beginnings of a union. Now, let's please remember that this is after the 13th Amendment of 1865, abolishing abolishing um, slavery, and the promise of Reconstruction had long ended. Uh, so it, what they had left was an abusive legal system of Black codes. You know, uh, it was a brutally violent atmosphere that existed. So the bravery of these women to decide to to um, bulk the system, buck the system rather, uh, is something that we cannot ignore. So they, they stood together and they stood their ground and they refused to work. And at the time, washerwomen were only receiving about four to eight dollars a month. You know, the pay did not reflect their strenuous labor, you know, the heavy lifting, the scrubbing, the long hours, the making of their own supplies. Uh, it, it was... These were not conditions that um, were tolerable or even sustainable. The washing uh, society was demanding a dollar for every dozen pounds of wash. Um, and this was work that white women of many socioeconomic um, statuses wouldn't, wouldn't even do themselves. If they could afford to pay someone else to do it, that's exactly what they did. No, they, these weren't just women who were working for high society uh, clients or households. This, this, I mean, this could be somebody just like people like us, regular, ordinary people who are in this room, in this space right now. So I just want to keep, want you to keep in mind that's how awful. It was how hard it was to um, to do at that time. So, of course, people initially um, underestimated the power of the strike or, you know, even that they would be able to, to last uh, or even that there would be any change. It was truly a, gra a grassroots movement. And the women, the washerwomen knocked on doors and they held nightly rallies. Um, and women who had not previously joined the strike, they joined you know, sometimes right in that moment where they would leave uh, laundry, you know, undone or half done or whatever and just walk off the job. This this was really seriously one of the most courageous things that these women could have done during this time when, of course, you know, this could have cost them their lives. Luckily, it did not. Six women were arrested, tried, and fined for their involvement in the strike. And <clears throat> I really only found one article, and I will post it, um, with their names. Uh, and the names are Matilda Crawford, Sally Bell, Carrie Jones, Dora Jones, Ophelia Turner, and Sarah Collier. And uh, when I tried to find more, just do a quick search um, of course, I could tr definitely go back and try to delve deeper, see if there's any more information. But everything that I've read shows that that's the, the fact that I even have those names is uh, a big deal. So I want us to remember them. I just want to honor them by saying their name, you know, in a recorded space and, and, and give them their due because they deserve it. We owe a lot to them. And I mean, each and every one of us, um, you know, a collective voice 
a union is uh, uh, one of the most powerful things that we have available to us in our democracy in this nation right now. And um, I, I will not, I will not belittle it or, you know, gloss over it in any, any shape or fashion. So I just really wanted to say their names here. At the time, the Atlanta mayor, Jim English, he threatened the Washington Society with a $25 annual license tax. And these women, they had no problem with that. They countered it by saying, sure, we'll agree to a, a, a fee a, as a protective fee, um, much like union dues. Uh, and then they demanded full control of the city's washing at their own set prices. You know, this strike went on to inspire many other domestic workers to also demand better wages and conditions, such as cooks, maids, hotel workers, and nurses. And the courage of these women is why we have organizations like the National Domestic Workers Alliance today and the Fight for 15 organization. So I encourage each and every one of you to, to go back and revisit if you've seen it, and if not, introduce yourself to that PBS special, uh, Black America Through the Grapevine. And I just want to say, I don't know if she's in this room today, um, but if she is, and even if she isn't, I hope she, when she listens back, she can hear my voice saying. You know she'll be listening. She, she right. unfortunately, is having some health um um, issues that she's addressing today, but hopefully she may be able to join us. Uh, so. Yes. I mean, a big thank you. Yes. She's, she's an amazing woman. Um, and as I was watching it, all I could think of is so many things that she's talked about in our spaces. And this was one of the topics that she introduced. And so I'm just sharing it and reintroducing it for folks who might've missed it. And also to just let you know that, I mean, there are many many publications. I'm not going to post all the articles because there are quite a few, um, but I am going to post the ones that I felt were so were most significant um, and gave credence to the fact that this was the start of the labor movement. This is how it started, and we have Black women to thank for it. So I don't know what you heard, but there's a little bit of Black history for you this month. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So, I mean, there's many other topics to discuss, but um, I'm going to turn it back over to you, Misty. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And I always uh, appreciate your uh, knowledge and background uh, that you are able to share with us and, and make us smarter about the labor movement um, in this country and the significance of it. And it's um, very important and, you know, um, timely that, you know, you um, are able to share the washerwoman strike, which Dr. Marshall did share with us uh, before in the space. So uh, thank you so much for that. And we're going to kind of weave in and out a little bit with our Black history and some other current topics um, and things I am going to um, uh, share with you after I, I have a couple of my speakers that I asked to, to share some information with us. And this is kind of on the state of our democracy. So they're going to be sharing some kind of current events and news that I have asked them 
um, to kind of research and, and bring to the conversation today. And I'm going to move to uh, T-Bug and then Joseph. And then I am going to share some information about uh, the rich history of ten the rich African-American history of Tennessee. And I see Mark is there and I know like he's really busy. And when he's able, he's going to come up and join us. And he has some rich topics that he's going to share with us um, as well as always. So uh, T-Bug, thank you for um, answering the call and for joining us today. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you and what you have to share with us regarding the state of Oregon and um, the recent um, ruling uh, that took place there um, regarding uh, some senators who were trying to like boycott the legislature uh, there. So um, without further ado, you have the floor. <laughs> hi, Dee. Hi, everyone. Um, Hello. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um, I, I tried putting a thread together, but um, I'm not feeling that great this morning, so I kind of messed up on it. It's a little jumbled. <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, but yeah, I wanted to show up and talk about it. Um, basically, um, in Oregon, we've had some problems in the past few years with Republicans um, disabling our legislative sessions by walking out. Um, so... Um, those of you who don't know, Oregon requires a two-thirds quorum to conduct a legislative session. Um, and so Republicans have been using this to the point, um, I think it was 2022, our governor. At the time, Kate Brown um, got threatened to get the uh, Oregon State Police to bring them to work. Um, so in 2000. 22, um, led by unions, um, Measure 113 was proposed, um, and that said that um, if they walked out for more than 10 consecutive legislative days without an excuse, um, these legislators would not be eligible for re-election. Um, so these legislators, um, t 10 of them, including one independent, who's not really independent, um, they, they walked out and it ended up being a six week walkout, which is the longest we've ever had. Um, and they stated at first it was because of a rule that, um, uh, all, all the new legislation proposed has to be at an eighth grade reading level. Um, that was quickly debunked by local news media who showed that Republican senators also have legislation that does not meet that criteria. So really what it was about was they wanted to stop gender affirming care and abortion rights being enshrined in our constitution. So that was a big deal. And some of them were moderate, including one of the senators is my own state senator who basically pretended they were okay with abortion law as it is, but they are extreme and that's what they did. Um, they thought that they could get away with it. Their legal counsel said the wording was problematic um, because it looks like it says the, the, that they're not up for re-election the next term after they finish their term. Um, so they felt emboldened um, to do that. And um, they also um, held up a lot of important legislation um, that helped a lot of vulnerable or Oregonians 
Um, so they had to kind of like jam in a session at the end and a lot of people were left hurting after that. Um, they were able to get concessions from Democrats as well. Um, they blocked part of gun legislation, increasing the, the gun buying age. Um, and, um, but the Democrats really were able to do some things like protect, um, sorry, let me find my place. <laughs> Um, they were able to, able, able to protect physicians providing abortion services to people in other states where it was illegal and um, protect gender-affirming care to a certain extent um, uh, that it would be covered by insurance plans. So um, during the late summer, these 10 senators filed a, a claim, a court case, um, arguing that they should be able to serve an additional term. The Oregon Supreme Court last week said, yeah, we agree the wording's a little bit problematic, but the voters' intent was clear, and you will not be able to uh, run for re-election next term, this term. So um, the interviews after this, uh, this uh, decision was made by the Oregon Supreme Court um, they, the Republicans are saying, yeah, we accept what they've said, but now we have no real reason to show up and do our job um, during the completion of our term this year. So we could have problems um, because there's going to be, um, legislators are going to be addressing Measure 110, which decriminalized drug uh, possession in Oregon. So they're probably going to um, try and push Democrats to recriminalize um, drug use, um, as well as make concessions on homelessness, which is the two major things they'll be tackling in this session. So any questions about that? I kind of put out a lot of information. <laughs> no, that, that's great. And I'm, I'm so glad that we have such a, a diverse group of folks in our community here from all over the country that when I read a story, I have people like you and Joseph and, and Mark and others that I can go to and say, can you explain this because you're closer to it, you're on the ground with it. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, T-Bug has got to explain this to us. But I think it's great um, that they're having some accountability. And, and it just shows that, you know, they're really not there to legislate because, you know, now that they've, you know, uh, suffered the accountability part of their actions, they're not interested in working. And um, I am looking forward to this um, a year of accountability uh, <laughs> continuing in the vein that it is, because it, it, a lot of people are starting to um, reap the, um, the consequences of their behavior. And it's not, um, I think it's important because, you know, things are not going to change until people do. You know, um, and so thank you so much. And if anyone has any questions um, about it, I'm sure that T-Bug is um, happy to to answer those. And I just thank you for, you know, coming here and sharing that with us and for all the work that you do and you are doing um, to make people aware of uh, what is going on there in Oregon. So thanks again for, for joining us here. And I hope you're able to, you know, stick around. And of course, if 
folks have uh, questions, I know you will be happy to answer them. Great job. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And I, I hope you feel better. So I, I do understand and I appreciate you coming when you're, you know, not feeling 100% um, and sharing with us. So thanks again so much. Thank you. Uh, and so next, we're going to go to Joseph, who I've asked to kind of dig into the Nevada races there and the primary and the caucus um, situation that is going to be coming up there soon um, to uh, share with us about that and any other relevant um, information that he so often brings to us about uh, races in the various states that, you know, he lives in, travels to, and works in. So, Joseph, how are you this morning, my dear? I know you're here for some good trouble. Hello, Ms. D. <laughs> yes, I, I certainly am. Um, it's a uh, rather uh, soggy morning here in Southern California. We are uh, getting a lot of rain, which I mean, I'm not right. The atmospheric yes. river. Yeah. Yes. It's just been a uh, just been a steady rain off and on really for like the last uh, 12 hours or so. And it's supposed to continue all day today. Um, I know some of other parts of the state is, is particularly in Northern California, they, they got re hit really hard, like with wind. I have a, a friend in Sacramento who got some shingles blown off of his roof from uh, high winds, but uh, not really, there's no wind at the moment, just a steady rain. But, uh, um, you know, I, I do, of course, want to, you know, share, you know, well, extend my good wishes, you know, to you during this difficult time with the loss of your, your friend's mom. I you know, uh, when sometimes, you know, a lot of times we, uh, we regard our friends, parents almost as, you know, almost in the same way as we regard our own. I, I know, uh, like with my best friends, parents, I certainly regard them in that, uh, in that fashion. So, um, uh, also, uh, thank you soul sister for that great, uh, bit of history on the washerwoman. Yes, I remember Dr. Marshall uh, sharing that in this space. I believe it was last year um, about that. So thank you for uh, for enlightening us. So uh, yeah, about uh, Nevada. So tomorrow I did some research and tomorrow is actually a primary just for the presidential races. They're more general primaries for every uh, other race that's going to be on the ballot in November is not until June. So I know President Biden was in Las Vegas yesterday. I don't know if he's still there. I haven't been able to see any news from Las Vegas this morning. But, um, you know, the fact that him and Vice President Harris have been in Las Vegas quite a few times in the last few months shows the importance of Nevada in this uh, in this year's election, Nevada is a purple state. Um, Las Vegas generally votes blue. Reno has been uh, voting blue as more people from Northern California have been moving into Reno, and that that demographic is is changing slightly. But once you get outside of Las Vegas in Reno, it is very very red in the rural counties. So the strategy for winning in Nevada in a statewide race is to really run up the score 
in Clark and Washoe counties as much as you can. So Clark County is where Las Vegas is, and then Washoe County is where Reno is. To run up the score as much as you can to offset uh, the the rural counties because uh, there's 15 counties altogether in Nevada, and so and I would say about the 13 of them are rural. So uh, that's something to to keep in mind. Uh, we have, as I've mentioned in this space uh, before, uh, there are. Four Demo- there are four House seats in Nevada. Three of them are held by by Democrats, and uh, we all need you know we need to hold all three of these seats if we want any uh, any chance of taking back the House. So I will be uh, very focused on those seats. The other congressional seat, Nevada's second district, unfortunately, I think that's still just out of reach for us right now. Um, last I saw it was an R plus eight. Uh, it encompasses pretty much all of Northern Nevada and, uh, there just aren't enough democratic votes in and around Reno to offset all the Republican votes everywhere else in that district. I think maybe in a few more cycles, it might be competitive as again, as more people move from Northern California, uh, to Reno. But uh, right now, unfortunately, I think it's still it's still out of uh, our reach. I haven't heard uh, anything about a Democratic candidate running. I hope that somebody will come forth and run because, like we've said, Republicans should not be running unopposed. Um, but it is it is a very purple state. Uh, the labor unions, the uh, the culinary union, is a driving force in Democratic politics. I view them as the backbone of Nevada's economy because really uh, without the labor to staff all the casinos in Las Vegas and Reno and some other parts of the state, Nevada's economy would be nothing. So um, like Soul Sister has mentioned, you know, this culinary, the culinary union, they are a force to be reckoned with. And, um, you know, they had. I know the vice president has has met with them the last couple of times she's been in in Las Vegas. I don't know if President Biden has had the chance to uh, to visit with them, but uh, they are an important force in Nevada's economy. Now, on the flip side, you have the big casino corporations that are very friendly to Republicans, and. I'm sure they will be putting a lot of money into Republican campaigns. I know that Republicans really want to put Nevada into their uh, their win column this November, but I think um, I think we can win it. Uh, it is probably going to be close, but we can we can win it. So if your talents are with you know if you if you like to do text banking or writing postcards. Um, definitely, I, I would say, would suggest giving a little bit of your time and talent to Nevada because it is, uh, it is a swing state. Uh, so we, we definitely need all hands on, on deck. I will probably be contributing at least monetarily to the, uh, the house candidates. And, uh, if you need, I'll put on my timeline, uh, again, the, the three, uh, Democrats that need to hold their seats, uh, Dina Titus, Susie Lee, and Stephen Horsford. 
uh, they will all need our our support this year. So that's uh, pretty much what's going on the ground uh, on the ground in Nevada. If anything else comes up, Ms. D, I will send it uh, your way. Uh, of course, I guess I'm always uh, keeping an eye out on what's going on there. A uh, little bit over two weeks, I will be back in Arizona for a few days. I have some work to do in Phoenix. So I will be, uh, of course, keeping an eye on what's going on there and try to gauge what's going on uh, on the ground because that's another important state that we need to look at this year. So uh, with that, I will land my plane. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. D and Soul Sister, for giving me the opportunity uh, to come and speak in your space. And I want to thank you again for uh, coming to my space. The other night, it was another wonderful uh, conversation. And uh, yeah, I'll just sit back and listen to everybody else. Have a great day, everyone. Well, thank you again, Joseph, and um, I always appreciate you coming and uh, supporting us, joining us, and contributing um, always valuable information. And thank you for, you know, just kind of sussing out what's going on there in Nevada and how important it is that we hold on to those seats and encouraging people to um, work um, to help, um, you know, keep um, the you know, Democrats that we have and, and uh, to get folks out uh, and involved in voting through text banking or whatever else that we can do supporting candidates. And I appreciate the space that you're holding. I think that they are very informative and I look forward to, you know, continuing to support you anytime you have them because they are, um, you know, the ones that you've had, I think have been wonderful spaces. Did you want to add something else? I did. I forgot to mention uh, the Senate race, which is very important. Uh, Jackie Rosen is running for re-election and it is probably going to be a very close, uh, uh, close election. Her I, it sounds like the Republican field in the primary is a little bit crowded, but the one who is uh, emerging as a front runner is a guy named Sam Brown, who is an Afghan war veteran. Um, he's very hard right. Uh, he's anti-choice um, and just really want to toe the MAGA line. So um, uh, if you can contribute to uh, Jackie Rosen's campaign, it'd be much appreciated. So thank you, Ms. D. Well, thank you so much. And I see another one of the um, guest speakers I um, asked to come and share with us is here and on the stage. And I'm so um, excited to um, hear from him. And um, I do want to take an opportunity just before I go to Mark to let you guys know, uh, because you were all um, involved when I was uh, hosting the other um space that I did, um, Democracy First, my cousin was running for office at the uh, for the county commission there. Well, this morning, the um, one of the local NPR reporters reached out to me. He's doing a series um, on it because it's only gotten worse. And this is why it is so important, because, um, you know, she lost that um, seat even though she deserved a, a runoff and she was denied. And most of you are familiar with that story. And now we are starting to see the repercussions of her not being there and them having so much control. And he, uh, Blaze Ganey, who used to join us in the space when we were talking about this, 
he is doing a series, and, and um, this is the first of it, uh, the series that he's done, and it's um, how a far-right political group rose to power in Sumner County and what they are pursuing in the next election. And I posted the articles in the nest about it, but it's um, the Sumner County Constitutional Republicans who are acting more like a political action committee because they endorse candidates and they recruit members and are deeply embedded in the uh, county's government. And um, it just shows um, like how uh, a whole town, a county, not just a town or a city, can be taken over when they get a little bit of power. And they have um, some elections coming up. Um, I, um, they have some school board um, seats that are coming up. And I think there is a, a, a judge um, seat that is also coming up. And they are the ones who are deciding who will be appointed. And um, it's not good. And this is kind of the incremental work that they're doing to continue to seize power. And so I just want you guys to keep following that story and I will keep you posted on it. Please, you know, listen to it and share it as a, you know, an example of, of what can happen when um, people are not allowed to um, engage in a true democratic process. And this is, is a shining example of that. We also have our State of the Union uh, or State of the State address that's happening tonight. And our governor is pushing the, the voucher programs and all of these other things. But um, we're going to kind of switch back a little bit to our African to Black History Month. And I just want to let you guys know that, you know, I'm going to be sharing a lot of um, the rich African-American history of our state. And I, I posted an article and this is from the Tennessean from um, which is a local paper here that's kind of gone sideways. But this is from last year. And um, it highlights some very important um, facts, some of which I've shared with you before. But um, one of them, which, you know, you guys have heard me say before that we're called Music City. And the reason um, that we got that name is because of the Fisk Jubilee Singers who performed in Great Britain and Queen, um, in 1873 and Queen Victoria um, coined um our Nashville Music City because of the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And um, in reference to that, part of our rich history is the fact that Nashville is home to five HBCUs. Yes, the American Baptist College, um, which was formerly Rogers Williams University. And this is where John Lewis came um, and, and went to school, but he also did um, some of his um, civic work and engagement and got involved at um, Fisk University because this is where they were um, holding the, the meetings that um, would um, uh, guide the, the students in the sit-ins, which were so important uh, during uh, the 19, um, 50s and, and 60s. And several of other universities that we have here, of course, is Fisk University, Meharry Medical College, and Tennessee State University, which is, you know, land grant. And some of the notable alumni include, of course, John Lewis, 
W.E. Du Bois and our own Oprah Winfrey. And um, um, so I'm going to kind of stick a pen in it there and give Mark an opportunity to share with us. And then I'll come back to some of the history of uh, Nashville and Tennessee, and we'll just keep building on that. So Mark, thank you again so much for answering the call as always and sharing so generously with um, your um, knowledge and, and time um, in, in our um, discussions here in Advocacy Arena. Oh, that's, that's no problem, D. Hopefully you can hear me okay and Soul Sister. Uh, yes, good, yes. Good afternoon, uh, Advocacy Arena. And, and, and thank you, D, because uh, when you hit me up to um, when you hit me up and asked me to talk about um, uh, Black history in, in some in some fashion, uh, it wasn't even like a second that I responded to you. It was a nanosecond. Um, but before we get to that, because I knew who I was going to talk about, because I wrote a report about him in seventh grade um, for Black History Month, I remember. Um, so this is not the actual report that I did in seventh grade. This is after you know a twenty-plus year career in law, um, but um, I do want to talk about what's, before I get into that, I do want to talk about what's coming up this week. We have, uh, we're expecting the D, it, it all ties together too, because we're talking about democracy. Democracy is on the ballot in November. Um, women's reproductive and maternal health is on the ballot uh, in, in November. Um, voting rights is on the ballot in November. Um, you know, our institutions are on the ballot in November. So when I talk about this person and I tell you about the story, and the impact that he made on our democracy, you'll you'll get the parallel. Um, Trump is uh, Trump and his ilk and and, and those folks um, they don't like the way democracy has turned out. So they're trying to either they're trying to um, bastardize it or in an, uh, or pervert it uh, to fit their fit their scheme and fit a fascist scheme. Um, and fascist means you know and, and like I have to explain this sometimes even at the barbershop. Fascist means that it's authoritarian. Uh, that there, the rule of law, it, it, it depends, it, it works for them, not for us. And some people say, yeah, but that's how it is now. But that's not true because um, the rule of law uh, is the basis for my existence. Uh, the, the preservation of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment is the reason why we're all here right now. Um, and we're more, we're more in accord with each other despite any kind of individual or specific differences than we are apart from each other um, based upon the rule of law. So we have the Trump immunity uh, decision um, that's that can happen anytime in the D.C. courts. I'd ask people. I know people are freaking out. Neil Katow, one of my one of my personal heroes, uh, that is a great um, arbiter for justice. He said he's freaking out. I'm not really freaking out because I know that um, I'd rather have a strong D.C. Circuit Court opinion that is SCOTUS proof that there's nothing for them to decide and and have it like you know be two weeks over or three weeks over and have the uh, Supreme Court grant cert and spend another month uh, arguing about it. And then another month after that coming out with an opinion. So two weeks could save us two months. So I, that's why I'm, I'm maintaining some patience here. I know Judge Henderson is the most conservative uh, DC circuit court judge. Uh, I'm hoping there's a court and, and they're doing, they, they want uh, a three zero or per curium opinion. I hope that's the goal. Maybe they don't all agree on how to get there, but I'm hoping it's per curiam and not three concurrences, uh, because then then we have a Supreme Court issue where they have to make a ruling or they might have to make a ruling. Um, I don't see SCOTUS granting cert on this, so that's something to look. At. 
I'll check your mic, yeah, Mark. Okay, you're back. Um, we have the uh, we have the fourteen point three case coming up, uh, being argued uh, on the eighth this Thursday um, at ten Eastern time. It's going to be live. All you got to do is go to either Scotus blog or just go to the the, the uh, Supreme Court website. It's going to be a live argument where the Trump people get forty minutes. Um, the um, the uh, plant the, the uh, appellees get uh, I think thirty minutes, and then the Secretary of State. Colorado gets 10 minutes. So it's going to be a quick, uh, a quick argument. Um, most of the briefs are turned in. Um, if you haven't read anything about Judge Luddick, he turned in a really great friend of the court. They call it amicus curiae. They, uh, and everybody pronounces curiae different. I, that's the way I just always pronounce it. Sorry. Uh, I say potato and I say tomato too. Um, and so, uh, you know, he ran it. He, he, he did a really great amicus. I think it was the creme de la creme of amicus brief. So that, that's coming up. Um, and then they have the stolen docs case, which has a big hearing on uh, February 12th and 13th next week. Um, it's going to be closed hearing, so we're not going to know what's going on. But it's a part of Section 4 of the of SEPA, which is the con- the uh, the um, uh, the way that SEPA is, is the way they go about uh, adjudicating what kind of evidence is going to come in that's confidential, that's that's super secret. Um, and a lot of times, they, well, they, in a, it's a defense matter. They call it gray matter. But the defense tried to delay by making a big deal out of out of these super secret documents that they that the government doesn't want to introduce into evidence, but they want to summarize or redact. And the defense makes an argument. So it delays the case because there's a hearing about what actually comes in. The government's saying we want to do a summary of this and not introduce the actual thing. Trump's people are saying, no, either you do it or you don't. So it creates a little bit of delay. But um, but Judge Ken is having a hearing on that on, on the um, on the 12th and 13th. So. That's pretty much where we are. Um, if you grant me a couple minutes to talk about this this great American, um, somebody who I think that uh, is is one of my original heroes after reading about him early in life, um, has played a role in in why I uh, appreciate the law and why I even went to law school in the first place because the the work that was done uh, early on to give us the rights uh, were done by a few people. Um, across a broad spectrum of industry and, and skill set. But Charles Hamilton Houston um, played a crucial role in, in challenging and dismantling uh, Jim Crow laws. And he set the stage for Thurgood Marshall's argument in Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. He was born in 1895 in D.C., and he was not only a brilliant scholar and lawyer, but also a strategic mind that I'm going to talk about in a minute, whose work aimed squarely at racial injustices entrenched in American society. So he was very focused. Um, and he's a veteran. After experiencing the stark realities of racial discrimination during World War I, he, he was galvanized to use the legal system as a tool against racial, dis, uh, racial segregation. He achieved remarkable academic success, earning a Bachelor of Laws and a Doctorate of Judicial Science from Harvard Law School, where he was the first African-American to earn the Harvard Law School degree. His subsequent tenure at Harvard uh, University Law School as dean was transformative because under his guidance, it became a crucible for civil rights law and produced key figures in the movement, like I told you before, Thurgood Marshall. Um, As the NAACP's first special counsel, the very first, Houston divide, and this is what I'm going to talk about, where we're at right now, right? We're, We're in the same situation right now, and it's like, it's so crazy how the nexus is. He devised this strategic legal attack on segregation, focus, focusing initially on the gross inequalities in educational facilities for African-Americans. 
he thought that that was the best way to go about uh, achieving desegregation, meaning attacking the Plessy versus Ferguson uh, ruling from 1896 that said separate, um, separate but equal. Um, his approach was revolutionary. So what he did was he planned to dismantle segregation across a broad spectrum of the United States. Um, and, and through a series of calculated legal challenges that created discord in the districts, it would force the Supreme Court to take up the case because each district was deciding segregation differently. So it made the Supreme Court have to decide the case. And if, you, if you're listening to me and you're thinking now, think about what we need to do with regard to women's reproductive and maternal uh, health rights. This is the kind of thing that, this is the kind of um, old school strategy that we still need to incorporate today. There were two pivotal cases though, before Brown versus Board of Education, I need to take note of, um, that Charles Hamilton Houston was directly on. One was Murray versus Pearson in 1936, and the other one was Gaines versus Canada in 1938. In Murray versus Pearson, um, he, Charles Houston successfully argued before the Maryland Supreme, uh, Supreme Court for the admission of Donald Murray into the University of Maryland School of Law, citing the state's failure to provide a comparable educational facility for African-American students. That was a victory, and it was significant in challenging segregation in higher education. In the Gaines case, which was the prelude to Brown versus Board of Education in 1938, um, Houston took his fight to the United States Supreme Court, arguing on behalf of Lloyd Gaines, who had been denied admission to the University of Missouri School of Law solely based upon his race. Now, let me, let me, uh, let me back up a little bit. Lloyd Gaines was admitted to the University of Missouri School of Law, and he was one of their top, uh, their top students that was admitted based upon his scores. But when he reported for school, they found out he was black and said, nah. Um, so the court's decision in favor, the Supreme Court's decision in favor of gangs marked a critical moment in the civil rights litigation uh, requiring states to provide equal educational facilities for all races or they have to integrate them. That was key. These cases were instrumental in exposing the fallacies of the separate but equal doctrine from Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896 and set the groundwork for its ultimate rejection. And notice that was a 1938 decision and we didn't get to, we didn't get to Brown versus Board of Education until 1954 because of what needed to be done to get there. Incrementalism, as people call it, they would call Charles Houston incremental, but he was strategic and tactical because it took that long to make sure that the, the path was straight for them to uh, be able to argue before the Supreme Court and have precedent in order to make that argument and have a basis for it. His strategic use of sociological evidence to demonstrate the adverse effects of segregation on African-American communities was another aspect of his revolutionary approach. He used data by showing that segregated educational facilities were inherently unequal. Houston laid the empirical foundation that would be pivotal for Thurgood Marshall in the Brown versus Board of Education decision. So Charles Hamilton Houston's legacy is his visionary strategy that led to the dismantling of legal segregation in the United States. By meticulously planning and executing a series of legal challenges against segregated education, Houston not only altered the course of American legal history, but he also inspired future generations of lawyers and activists to continue to fight for civil rights. His nickname was actually the man who killed Jim Crow. And that is a testament to his profound impact on American society. Thank you so much, Dee, for, for this space. It's, it's a place where um, we are all supposed to be, and specifically me. I, I have a feeling that I belong. I, I. And in that note, thank you so much and good night.
Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mark. You absolutely do belong here. You're very much an integral part of our conversations here. And as I said, always humbled um, by your um, um, grace, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, your generosity of time that you share with us. And so with that, uh, I brought Sam up, who it doesn't speak that often, but I'm going to go to her. But um, before I, I do, I'm going to pivot back to some of our um, African-American history here in, in Tennessee, because, you know, our um, right, our struggle for, um, you know, civil rights and stuff definitely lands here in Tennessee. And when you were talking about him, it made me think of some of the great um, lawyers and, and, and folks that we had here in Tennessee. And one of them is um, James uh, Lawson, who was the civil rights um, activist um, who was involved in, in the sit-ins. And he was also, um, I think, um, the um, um, one of the attorneys. Um, I'm sorry. He was Lawson was one of them, but um, there was a an attorney. I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, losing my place here, um, that um, helped to defend them was, um, you know, a very important part of the national civil rights movement. And, and their work um, here in Nashville allowed Nashville to be actually the first um, southern city to desegregate public facilities. Yes. So in that way, you know, like our, our work, the struggle is long and it's it's continued for um, it, and it still continues um, today. And I love how you are able to and most of these rights and things that we have gained, which is why uh, your expertise, your legal understanding and expertise, it's always so critical because that is how we have gained um, so many of the rights um, that you know we have today. And it continues to be where and how we fight to, you know, uh, retain them and to expand them. And with that, I, I want to welcome, I, I knew your first name, but I forgot, uh, Samson, uh, is, it, is it Samantha? But I'm so glad that you came up to join us. Uh, welcome to Advocacy Arena, and thank you for coming up and joining us in the conversation. Hello, my name, can you hear me? I can, yes. I'm sorry, I didn't actually wanted to speak, but um, since I'm on, I'm just gonna say hello. My name is Susan. Samson is my last name. So, okay, um, Susan, yes, okay. <laughs> and I've been listening for quite some time now and I just wanted to let everyone know, I really appreciate all of you. I've, I've been learning so much and um, I'm out here in Pennsylvania. So I'm in a state that is kind of important when it comes to elections. Um, so I'm doing what I can in my little world here and. Again, I apologize. I really didn't want to say anything, but. Um, no, that's, that's yes, <laughs> no problem. And we appreciate, because I know that you're always here. And this is, like I said, so many people, I recognize your Abbeys as being ab uh, avid listeners and, and never coming up to speak. So how, whatever, you know, caused you to get, you know, sometimes, you know, you hit the button, you're out walking the dog or whatever. I'm working on my, you know, here at home. I mm -hmm. hit the microphone and I don't even know how this works to become a speaker. So I'm <laughs> pause this, but um 
I appreciate all of you and especially you, Dee, and I, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's an awesome space and um, I like like everyone here and listen to everyone and like well, I said, great well, learning. Well, thank you so much. And again, even though it was an accident, it was lovely, Susan, just to hear your voice and and to know how much the conversations that we have here in Advocacy Arena mean to um, to folks like you and to others. And I, I get that all the time in my DMs. Um, and it it makes me feel good, not just because it's a compliment, but because I know what we're doing matters and yeah. that people count on it and, and depend on it. And um, so it means that the mission I have for it is is succeeding. So thank you again so much. And with that, I'm going to go back to um, Joseph and then I'm going to dig into some other hot uh, topics um, that are going on and weave in some black history with that. So Joseph, go ahead. Thank you, Ms. D. So when you're talking, uh, when you started talking about the, uh, the historical black colleges in, in and around Nashville, and when you said Tennessee State, it kind of jogged my memory a little bit um, because I am an Olympics history geek. And so I thought about how the legendary Ed Temple, the uh, track coach at Tennessee State. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Coach <laughs> multiple Olympic champions, um, including, let's see, Wilma Rudolph, who won three gold medals at the 1960 Olympics. Uh, Edith McGuire, who won a gold and two silvers at the 1964 Olympics. Wyoming Tyus, who won a total of three golds and one silver between 1964 and 1968 and was the first uh, Olympic athlete, male or female, to win the 100 meters at two consecutive Olympics. And the uh, last that comes to mind was uh, Chandra Cheeseborough, who won two golds and a silver at the 1984 Olympics. So, yeah, when he said Tennessee State, I said, aha, Ed Temple and the Tiger Bells, uh, came to mind right away. So I just wanted to throw that out there, especially since this is an Olympic year and uh, I'm sure there will be lots of talk about uh, past Olympic champions the, the sooner, uh, the closer we get to the summer. So I just wanted to add that into that conversation. I love that you did that. And, and yes, he is definitely a hero here, well-known. And, you know, uh, Wilma Rudolph uh, reigns from Clarksville. And um, always she's uh, an icon of mine because I was also, um, you know, I wasn't a track star, but I ran track. And so, yes, um, and her story is also uh, one that I will be, um, you know, telling as we you know, get deeper and deeper into um, our um, the history month because, you know, she did this and, and she's also someone who, um, you know, suffered polio. Okay. So quite an inspiring uh, person and story. So thank you again uh, so much for that. And I love, um, again, like I said, that you know the rich history and Tennessee State University is my mom's alma mater that, you know, she was a, um, she got her RN um, degree uh, from TSU. And I have, my sister is an alumni of Fisk 
And um, I have a, a very cl close cousin who is also, well, I have lots of cousins who are an alumni of Fisk, but one of them is also um, a um, Fisk Jubilee Singer alumni. And um, he was actually um, in the Broadway show of The Temptations um, recently uh, touring. And uh, so, again, lots of rich history. And I know, you know, we hear, you know, the, the typical uh, historical figures, you know, Martin Luther King, we know. Um, and, of course, I talk about John Lewis all the time. But some of these other folks who kind of don't, um, you know, people are not as familiar with, don't get their dues all the time. Those are the ones that I really want to highlight and also highlight um, a lot of women because I, I believe that the future is female. And one of the um, first things that I shared was um, the um, Millie um, um, Hall, um, Hospital that um, was uh, started by a husband and wife here in um, Tennessee, and it is one of it was one of the um, first. Um, it was the first um, hospital to serve um, African Americans. Um, you know, 365 days of the year, and I know I posted that um, on Thursday. The I think on the first day of. Um, Black History Month. And, you know, the interesting thing about uh, this husband and wife um, is that they started it in their home, like they turned their the second floor of their home into a hospital. And um, then later their entire home, they also had a community center. They did a lot of things in the um, community to address the needs of African-Americans that, you know, could not and was not being addressed in other ways. And uh, some of the, the article that I shared with you guys uh, from the Tennessean, we also have uh, the African-American um, uh, music um, uh, history museum here. And that museum was built by um, the McKissick architectural firm, and they were the first um, African-American um, architectural firm in the country. And so they built this museum as well as some other things. So again, like I said, we have um, very rich history. And um, Millie and her, hus her husband later became, um, he was a surgeon and he, um, became, I think, the dean of Meharry Hospital, which has turned out some excellent um, medical um, geniuses in the, uh, from the African-American um, community. So again, thank you so much for um, sharing that. And we're going to pivot a little bit. I want to cover some of the other like current news things that um, is going on and I've tweeted about, but Tesla um, just suffered, um, you know, got a um, a fine for polluting in, in California. I think it was uh, 1.5 um, million maybe dollars for um, polluting in, in various areas there. So uh, Joseph, um, I think um, Orange County was one of them. And they, uh, these um, cities combined together to bring this lawsuit. And I think it goes to show, again, the importance of regulations and having accountability 
uh, for them, which, you know, of course, made me think about um, the Project 2025 efforts, because a big part of their efforts is to destroy, you know, accountability and uh, regulations um, around everything, but certainly, you know, climate and, and polluting and those types of things and taking it to a more geopolitical um, point, which I think is important, is um, Ukraine. A lot of things happening there because you know that they are um, trying to get a border bill, bill passed. And it really is one of the, the first in a long time that um, actually gives the Republicans a lot of the things that they have asked for. And they're not um, planning on signing it in the House. And um, so it kind of really reveals their hypocrisy and the fact that they are are using this as a political stunt. And they were trying to uh, connect Ukraine's funding to it and some of the false narratives that, you know, like we, you know, we're basically the ones um, giving them all the money and support. But recent stories this week, and I have posted some and I'll find them and post it in the nest, but I wanna bring uh, people's attention to the fact that it is not true that, you know, um, the US is, is the biggest funder for Ukraine. Uh, the EU is, and they um, just, um, approved $54 billion to be spent over a period of time to help Ukraine in their efforts in the war that they are fighting. And that we have a fantastic State Department and leaders who have found ways to work around the obstruction that the Republicans are trying to put in place because Greece um, is actually going to be providing them uh, some weapons because we're providing some weapons to Greece uh, due to some um, some um, laws and things that we have that allow us to do that. And that Ukraine has had some big wins recently because they downed a big Russian ship, sank it, yes. They targeted the... Um, Russian oil refinery, yes, and then Kuwait, who um, you know the uh, where we fought the you know the Gulf War and and won. It was like you know what two or three days, and boom, it was over. But they were they still had all of those M eighty four tanks and things, so they are sending. They are cleaning them up, and um, they've shipped them off to uh, for repair to go to Ukraine. So. Even though the Republicans are trying to stop us and, you know, help Putin, other people are in, um, in the EU are coming uh, to their aid and we are finding ways to continue to provide help and aid to them by, you know, working around the obstructionist. And, you know, it just goes to show you there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> and I love um, the savviness of our um State Department folks like, you know, Anthony Blink, Secretary Anthony Blinken and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and um, that we have had um, a response to some of the, the strikes um, on the, the Houthis. And um, also that um, Tucker Carlson, which, you know, should surprise no one, is in Moscow now and he was trying to keep it a secret but thanks to julia davis's great uh reporting uh, we uh, have uh, definitely found out that he's there and um, we can imagine what he's doing over there 
And um, with that, we have Maggie, just Maggie, who has come up to join us. And then another uh, uh, guest speaker who I have asked to join us is able, uh, has been able to come to the stage. So I want to hear from just Maggie and then Danny, who I asked, of course, to share her awesome insights on, um, you know, the media and other things, because she does such a great job and people love to hear her lovely voice. And I certainly do. So just Maggie and then Danny. Oh, Misty, I just wanted to uh, point out that I posted the EU story as well as the, um, the Tesla story up in the nest for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, like I said, I'm a little discombobulated today, so I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> good looking out. So just Maggie, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, happy Monday. Happy Black History Month. And thank you, Dee. You put on the best spaces. I learned so much from all of you and Soul Sister and all of the speakers that you have are always spot on. I just wanted to say that first. Um, but I just wanted to share with regards to the border bill and uh, what the MAGA house is doing right now. I started going down the list of CC's. Um, as many people know, CC is an advocate for calling the representatives, even if they're in or not in your state. And I'm in a very red area. But I called my representative and I also went through the list and I was so surprised. I did post it in the comments, um, but it's the the one that may maybe a lot of people have seen or not. If not, I can put it up in the nest. And I just started going through her list of House of Representatives. These are people that are um, they're, they're going to struggle to keep their seats. And so what we're trying to accomplish is to urge them to pass the border deal because i i feel very strongly about this that it is very much a part of our national security to protect our our country and uh you know after the democrats did work on a bipartisan basis with um senate republicans as everyone here probably understands that was no easy task and then to have them change their mind of oh we wanted this we wanted this we wanted this and now they don't want it because the orange guy um smelly man uh <laughs> said no you know and basically it's so obvious that they're just using that as a political pawn for them to run on and they but the i didn't get today i did a little better i mean i'm just i get very upset and anxious when I have to call any representatives, but I was able to contact many on that first um, list that CC had shared, and a lot of them were in California. And I just wanted to share that uh, five out of six uh, representatives actually answered. It might have been five out of seven because I think I went to voicemail twice, but I was able to speak directly to the offices of five of them, and uh, and it was it was good. I just wanted to share that, like our voices matter, even when they're doing these crazy shenanigans. And if if it doesn't go through, it doesn't go through. But at least I know I did my part. I mean, I have a 22 year old son and I don't need to tell us all how important it is that we don't help Putin. OK, 
Like, that is insane. It makes absolutely no sense. And it's actually a way that, in a way, they're they're committing their own political suicide because what they're telling their own base is that they're not intelligent enough to know what about what's going on. And I just feel like that's, you know, a message. And to, so what I did was I just said, I'm, you know, I'm urging you to pass this border deal. This is everything that you all wanted. And if you don't, I will support your opponent. I know I'm not your constituent, but I will support your opponent. Um, and so therefore, that's that's where I'll land that on. And I just had a question for the panel about how to push back on the me mainstream media and this ridiculousness that the way that they continually both sides things i don't see it getting better and it's really causing us harm um just was wondering if anyone had any ideas that's all i have thank you so much well thank you i appreciate it and i see susan down there and perhaps um you know if she has opportunity in her um day because i know you know she's often busy and just listening in but i think she always is able to give us some good insights on how to engage but again i think it is um in part just the basic this is me saying like you know put the facts and the truth out there and call out their um narratives uh, you know their both sizes and then you know how they you know they downplay the truth or or you know are um twisting the narrative um unnecessarily and um just kind of calling it out so that that's i think just a very basic thing to do and i you know i, I don't go um combating them all the time or the people spouting it i just think that it's so important that we continue to have the facts to report the facts and to continue to flood our media zones like you know we're a community here to share those stories of the things that they're doing and and um you know drowning out some of that and and not really engaging in them because uh, part of that is is by design that's what they want us to do and uh, so i don't play around with them with that i don't argue back and forth i just put my facts out there and keep going and going and going so that uh, when we have opportunity at, to engage, like, you know, you're involved in, you know, your city uh, duties, you know, uh, uh, calling people and talking to them, you are armed with the facts so that you can give the facts to people that you encounter and engage with. And I think that um, is a big part of how we dispel some of the things because you know we don't own the media stations we know who do and we know why they do some of the things we uh that they do so just understanding that i feel like that's just one kind of um very simple thing that we can do and um we have someone who is going to be speaking next who watches and follows the media um a lot so i'm looking forward to her and maybe in um, you know, the things that she has to share with us, um, you'll get some more answers. So thanks again, Maggie. I appreciate it. And, and um, good work you're doing there. Just keep it up. And I appreciate you coming and sharing it with us. So Danny, my dear, how are you today? Good afternoon, everyone. I'm doing well. How are you, Ms. D and Soul Sister? Doing great. I'm so glad to be able to have you here today. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, 
So how do we hold the media accountable? It was actually one of the first spaces I ever did on journalism. Um, one of the ways is our buying power, our viewership, um, but also pushing back in real time in ways that we can. So for the most part, most journalists, most news reporters are on social media of some type. Usually, you know, um, Twitter is the main one, not so much Instagram, I don't think. Um, I guess that's just more of a private thing. But when it's coming to breaking news, I think we do a really good job of trying to hold them accountable. Um, I saw a couple of mutuals that went back and forth with some of the black male journalists this weekend. Um, unfortunately, some of our mutuals got blocked. Um, they got accused of spreading misinformation and disinformation because they did not agree with the reporting. Um, and it's fair if those said journalists don't like maybe our approach or our critique of their work or their reporting. That's fair. That's fine. Sometimes, you know, in the heat of the moment when we're angry, we don't agree with an article. We feel that it could be misleading or we think that it is, um, I want to say lying, but lying by omission where you are deliberately withholding information from the American people. Um, sometimes, you know, we don't necessarily tweet out the best. And so they could be, you know, offended and, you know, they don't want to engage. So they will block or they'll just ignore or they'll, you know, quote, tweet you with the response of their own. And that's fine. Um, but the point is to get you to see that, listen, there's an error here and we're looking and we're highlighting it because we need you to fix it. We need you to acknowledge that this is not accurate reporting. We know because some of us are in the communities. Some of us have heard <laughs> what the Biden administration has been doing, what they've been putting out, their policies, what they are trying to still get past. So to put out this narrative, it seems deliberate. It seems that you are trying to get a reaction out of a certain demographic. And at the heart of it, it's harmful to everyone. And when you do that, especially now, our democracy is just barely hanging on. And I don't want to sound, you know, <laughs> Debbie Downer, but it really is just barely. No, no, it's real. I mean, it's hanging by a thread and blades are circling, you yeah. know. Uh, so, yes, it, we're we're in the danger zone. You have the, the Ron DeSantis, you have the Greg Abbott, you have the Donald Trumps, um, and you have the Mike Johnsons, who are, for the most part, what it seems to be winning the, the message war against the Mitch McConnells against any sensible Republican, even if you didn't like him, they're not even willing to listen to Mitch McConnell. He's lost his power now. And I don't know if he's going to get it back. I don't know just how powerful he is. He's already agreed to this uh, immigration bill. And Mike Johnson said no. Well, who the hell is Mike Johnson? Like, you just got here. And this is the problem. So when you downplay real concerns and you want to highlight people, well, Donald Trump gave us a $1,200 check. 
it's not just the, and it's unfortunate because it's not just, you know, Charlemagne and the Breakfast Club anymore. It's right there on MSNBC. And when we're tuning in, we're not tuning in to Comedy Central. We're not tuning in to BET. MSNBC stands for, it stood for Microsoft National Broadcasting Company. This is the news we're turning into, and this is what you give us. We're not turning into into these channels to be entertained. We're tuning in to be informed. And what you're doing is lying, or you're deliberately withholding information, or you are deliberately trying to push a narrative. I, I don't know the real culprit or the reasoning of why you feel that to be necessary. There's a lot of shit going on <laughs> in this country where you don't need to do that. There's too much other stuff that needs to be reported on where you don't have to create this divide or this narrative that black men are not happy with Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. And what we saw this past week, egg is on their face. There should be shame, but I don't think they're going to pick up on it. But how they went about everything leading up to the South Carolina primary, they should be ashamed of themselves. Steve Kornacki, every last thing one of them. And the reason why I'm bringing up MSNBC, for all his faults, we know what Fox News is. CNN, for the most part, have always tried to remain neutral. It doesn't work half the time. But let's just say for the sake of this arg argument, they try to stay neutral. But normally, Long ago, there was a time when MSNBC did good and honest, newsworthy reporting. And I would love for them to get back to that. And instead, we're getting primetime news reporting from seven, starting with Joy Reid. I'll even include six with um, Ari Melber. I'm on the East Coast, so that's my time slot. Um, Chris Hayes, no. No, no, no. This is a station that used to have Chris Matthews. This is a station that used to have, you know, Rachel Maddow five nights out of the week instead of just Monday nights. Um, there was so much, back when Keith Oberman was sensible. Listen, um, <laughs> we had good reporting and what we are being presented now, it really is embarrassing and it's a shame. People are tuning out. They stop buying newspapers. They um, probably are not even listening to talk radio as much because they don't even trust that they're, what they're getting is the truth. And people still want the truth. Gossip, that shit fades quick. It's sensationalism, scandalism, all that. It, it doesn't last. There'll be something else that'll be juicier next week. And it, and it fades. The truth doesn't. It holds up against time, against history, and against lies. And what, and I'm really disappointed in Black journalists this week. And rest in peace to Joe Madison. Because what we saw some other. The eagle, yes. <laughs> what we saw other male, Black male journalists do this week. The way he used to take people to task on CNN, you know, he passed. So a lot of people have been playing his old clips. 
what a damn good journalist we lost. And that's the problem is that we're losing a lot of the good journalism and it's creating this void. And now it's being filled up, unfortunately, with a Tremaine Lee, with a part-time wannabe Charlemagne the God, with an ex- I call him the corporate version yeah. of, of that yeah. guy. Trash. Yeah. Lam- Trash. Mark Lamont Hill. That's where it's being, that's who's filling up the void of an Ed Bradley, of an Ed Gordon. Those people are gone. Not Ed Gordon, but Ed Bradley's gone. He's still with us. I don't want to put death on anybody, but if this is all it is, we're in trouble. It is a huge problem because leading up to the South Carolina primary, you know, Joe Biden, we don't know what he's going to do. Really? Y'all really don't know what South Carolina is going to do? You really think Dean Phillips is going to come in here and spoil it? And forget the polling. The polling doesn't matter. How quick do they call that race? <laughs> what, 7.30? <laughs> 8 o'clock? And then in the narrative was only 4% showed up to vote. It doesn't matter. The people that showed up made their decision clear. Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee. On the other side, Nikki Haley doesn't have a chance. I don't care what she says. Donald Trump will be the nominee. These things are true. You don't have to lie in our face. You don't have to play with us. You don't have to create these scenarios just so you can get clicks. Do you understand how dangerous Donald Trump is? No fear of having to run for another four years, another election. What could he do as commander in chief? And when you already have generals who have been willing to quietly stand beside him and let him wreck the country, you think they won't do it again? And that has been my biggest issue with a lot of the generals that did stand behind him. Like y'all literally fought for this country. You will, you literally went to war with other countries because of how those particular leaders were treating their people. And then when push came and shoved, you stood right next to Donald Trump and you allowed him to abuse the American people, to abuse his power. Like, with all due respect, why did y'all go to another country to fight if you're not even going to try to uphold democracy here? That was the whole point, no? And nobody's even asked them that question. They just get to write a book and then just kind of run off into the sunset. No questions asked. Yep, yeah, yeah, he did that. You know, we had talks privately and, you know, everybody else is just what? (laughs) There's a reason why we were so stressed for four years. There's a reason why we all cried in 2016. Y'all are not taking it seriously. And it's not just the generals and it's not just Republicans. It's not just Democrats. It should also be journalists too. And I wrote this down and I just want to kind of go back to it. So y'all going to hear me flip some pages. My apologies. But at the heart, journalism is to inform and educate the public while also acting as an unofficial watchdog on elected officials and politicians. That is your duty. You are to report and to inform of, of what's going on. 
And you know, you which is why they're in the Constitution as the fourth estate. Exactly. And you can break it down, you know, whether it's sports, whether investigative reporting, whether it's something like Flint and the water crisis or Jackson, Mississippi, or the 215 dead bodies behind a jail in Mississippi. I mean, <laughs> those are the stories that I care about. And I understand that to some degree, it can be too much gloom and doom, but it keeps me informed. It keeps my mind away from the crazy and from scandal. Yeah, when you, you can, when you are, when you actually have facts to deal with, you know, I prefer those no matter, you know, whether they're happy or whatever, just, you know, dealing with facts is important and, and not the sensationalism that has been, you know, twisted to to fit a, um, you know, a sensational narrative. And uh, last but not least, journalism, it's also shown that it can be effective when it's done right. When we have good reporting, you start to see results. People start to tune in. They start making calls. They start asking more questions. And it yields results. Why would we throw that away? And what would be in its place if we lose it? I don't want to know what that looks like. There, it, 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 No. We need to protect our democracy. Journalism is a, a very effective way in order us in order for us to do that. And last but not least, because I do have to just mention the black journalists a little bit more. Part of the reason why it's important to highlight black journalists is because for a very long time, um, the white media environment never really focused on our problems, our issues, our concerns, anything that was happening in our neighborhoods, anything that was happening in our lives, or it was a, um, very small and skewed version of us, right? We're just criminals, just welfare queens. But black journalists saw an opening, saw an opportunity to really report on the things that matter to us. And then it gave us an opportunity to really have a seat at the table and to have some honest input in the kind of stories that we consume and we support. And to kind of see that kind of go by the wayside, it really is disappointing. And I'm ashamed. And, uh, you know, um, I did not watch the full video um, that came out last night. I am going to watch it. I have seen enough of it on my timeline, but I'm going to watch the full thing tonight. Um, the way that those two gentlemen went back and forth with one of our mutuals and then eventually blocked her, because she's trying to hold you accountable. And then to say that that clip in the barbershop had nothing to do with the special that happened late at night. Well, then somebody at MSNBC needs to answer for that because they put out a 30 second clip that was very misleading. You can't blame it on the Republicans. You can't blame it on the leftists. Somebody higher up at MSNBC decided to craft that 30 second video and send out a message and it was very skewed it was very dishonest and that's why i say where it's lying by omission i'm sure that's a better term but it's deliberately withholding information you're deliberately slicing it up to create a narrative that you want to push forward and i would have loved to see the full clip and now i have 
two well, journalists having to <laughs> spend practically all weekend fight back or what everybody saw. And some of us, you know, they didn't like how we approached them, how that, how, you know, we took them to task. What else are we going to do? What else power do we have? And I get it. You might not like the delivery, but if everybody has a problem with it, you need to take a step back. Okay. Maybe we did get this wrong. And that is my biggest issue is that there seems to be no accountability. It's almost like we reported it. We're not going to apologize for it. Since when is that the norm? No one should ever be too big where you said, okay, we got this reporting wrong. We need to retract this. This is not how we wanted to have this message be sent out. And that's our fault. Retract it. I guarantee you, that's how you that's how you you have integrity. You show integrity. Yeah, you build um, and you build uh, that integrity and, and you build a, um, a committed audience when they know that you have integrity. And the last thing I'll say is I saw the clip, Soul Sister, that you put up of Kristen Welker um, at um, Meet the Press. Um, Simone Sanders is someone else who also pushes back a lot on her show and on Twitter. And, you know, she she does it beautifully. She isn't, you know, loud. She isn't, you know, disrespectful. But she said, no, that's not correct. This is the correct information. This is the correct reporting. Joe Biden didn't do this. Uh, that's being held up because of the Republicans. And then you see the person that she's speaking to has to then change how they want to respond because she held them accountable. And the first person to host um, Meet the Press had a wonderful quote. And I know that when uh, Kristen Welker got the job, a lot of people didn't want to really support her. You know, she could, mm, sometimes she gets it right, sometimes she doesn't. But I uh, was of the mindset if we were willing to give Chuck Todd an opportunity <laughs> to be the host, then most definitely we'll give the opportunity to Kristen Welker. And yes, I did have a problem that her first episode, she interviewed Donald Trump. I don't think that she pushed back enough on him, but she did try her best. And something that she um, put at the end of the show that I do want to read um, when it comes to journalism, um, as long as the press of America is free, America will be free. And what we have tried to do is bring the press conference, the heart of our free press, to the whole nation. Let us never forget that information belongs to the American people. And if that information, which Meet the Press has been trying to bring each week in the homes of American people, an informed public means a strong republic. And Meet the Press is dedicated to that cause. I want to see more of what Kristen Welker did this weekend across the board with all journalists. And not just in favor of the Democrats. You can give honest reporting on Bob Menendez and what he got going on. You can do honest and good reporting on Cori Bush and that House ethics complaint that she has and all the others who are misusing their power. That's what I care about. I'm not looking to just have favorable coverage of the Democratic Party. I don't think anyone in this space or in this collective is wanting that. But we do want fairness. We do want honest and good and fact-based reporting. 
And for the longest time, that has been lacking. And it seems to not, it, it, it's almost like you have no incentive to be truthful anymore. We're just going to give an opinion. We're going to give a snide remark. We're going to do, you know, like a witty comment about the Republicans. And, you know, we'll be right back in 30 seconds. Okay, well, what am I supposed to do with all this information? It helps nothing. And I can't do anything when it's time for me to go to the voting booth. When it's time to decide who I think is best to be elected. That is the problem. That is what's at stake. And until, I don't know if it needs to hit them on a personal level. I don't know if they just need to block all of us. I don't know if we just need to tune out all the way. Um, but something needs to happen. I don't know what. I don't know who we need to talk to. <laughs> um, but I think probably the best method would be to use our voice but also if we need to also use our dollar maybe not subscribe anymore maybe cut the cable or cut off you know just change the channel if they have no audience then what do you do and again that scares me because i like to be informed so and it takes good reporting to counter the bad reporting so highlight the stories highlight the journalists that are doing a good job so Kristen Welker, she got it right this week. Simone Sanders got it right this week. Uh, Jen Psaki, she usually gets it right. She's a little bit of a Bernie bro, so I'm not going to give her too much props. But she does pretty well. I thought Charles Coleman was good until this weekend. I thought Tremaine Lee was good this weekend. But, you know, they surprised me. And hopefully, uh, you know, they will take this as a learning opportunity and do better. Because that's what we're asking for. We're not asking that, you know, you stop being a journalist, but there's a better way to report on the concerns of the Black community, the concerns um, of the Latino community, Asian community, the Caribbean community. There's a way to do it without placing blame where it's not necessary and it's not justified. And I think that's what this weekend has taught me more than anything. So I just want to thank everyone for allowing me to speak. Y'all have a good week. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for, you know, um, as always, when I ask you to come and share with us, um, you know, whenever you're able um, that you you join us and you always bring great insights and facts. Uh, so um, I um appreciate everything that that you shared with us and the fact that like we have to highlight it and continue to call it out so um we do have a few other speakers up. I, do, I know I just, uh, I just go ahead uh, mm -hmm. just one quick thing um danny uh in regards to the uh the barbershop click i don't think that it was included in the program but it definitely was right in on, on on pace with how the program went so i i agree the lie by omission because that was the tone that was being set um uh, if they gave us a little preview they didn't like the fact that they did not receive positive feedback on this twitter feed you know timeline and uh it was badly edited, in my opinion. Um, 
there were not enough, there was not enough attention given to people who had actual knowledge and and an investment in being an educated voter that was infuriating. Uh, it really left a bad taste in my mouth. It sh- it depicted um, our black men in a in a negative light. It was outrageous, um, and they should not be patting themselves on the back mm-hmm. or upholding that special as um, some kind of pinnacle of uh, great reporting done. Uh, on, on behalf of educating voters or educating viewers or educating um, our community on, on what people are thinking. This was basically what I kind of feel it was, I have so many thoughts about it. I'm not going to go on and on, but it was, it was outrageous. Also, I agree with you, Kristen Welker, she gets it right sometimes. And this time she did. So, you know, just to, based on what um, what I've listened to Susan say, um, I do try to, when I see it, uh, I do try to make sure that I applaud it when I see it. And you're right, Simone Sanders does it all the time, and I do retweet her as well. Um, but this was something, because it's it felt very um, significant, because I hadn't seen her push back this strongly. Um, it felt very significant to say, yeah, this was an incredible job. Please do more of this. Mm-hmm. And you're right, holding them to task, uh, anyone, any elected official official to task, because that's what we want. That's how we are better informed when we go to the voting booths. And that's all I wanted to add. But thank you so much, Danny. I love hearing you. And uh, you you give us so much information and, and such a, you know, a... <sighs> A wealth of of knowledge. Um, it's it, it's it's really um, how you how you put it, it is just it's it's so eloquently done, and it's so right on point. And um, thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us today. Thank you. And can I just say one last thing? I think good reporting sure. also consists of context and is nuanced, so you get a full picture of what you're trying to convey to your audience. And unfortunately with Twitter and their word limit in a tweet <laughs> and a two minute um, video clip, it's often lacking context and it can be very nuanced and that's what's missing. And I think that's how misinformation, disinformation also gets thrown into the mix as well. That's all I wanted to say. But thank you so much for your kind words. Y'all are so sweet. Y'all are so good for my confidence. You just don't know. (laughs) But thank you. No. Well, we want you to keep doing what you do. And I love the place of passion that you share from. And I think that is what makes the difference and and allows others to to tap into that. And um, so, again, we're honored when you're able to, to do that. And we do have quite a few speakers up and some, you know, I invited to share um, certain things with us. So I'm going to first go to, so I may be a little out of order here, you guys, um, um, but uh, bear with me. I am going to go to Steve because I asked him to come and share something with us. And this is about civic engagement, which is always 
timely and important and is very important now. Um, and um, he is coming with an ask, but it's uh, around something that I think is very, very important. So Steve um, is next. And then I want to go to uh, Mark. And I'm so glad Geechee had a chance to come up. And I see you, Sweet Pea and Cher. And Mickey, I'm going to get to you. Um, so Steve, um, would you um, take the floor now and share your information um, with us? Thank you, Ms. D. Thank you, Soul Sister. And thank you, Danny, for the incredible updates. It's always such a privilege to hear you give your views and inform and teach us. So I 100% um, I'm learning and agreement with your comments and frustrated by the, the environment. So um, I want to share a, a small fundraiser, very modest fundraiser from a friend who is taking action and is very much a good trouble Democrat herself. Uh, I won't speak for her because I'm not her, but she is a uh, an attorney who lives in Ulster County, New York, and is a leader in the legal community there. Um, I'll just leave it at that. And she is spearheading a group that's raising money to send young people and African-American and other minoritized community members up to Albany as part of a professional networking event for the New York State Association of Black, Puerto Rican, Hispanic, and Asian Legislative Caucus Weekend, which is coming up, it's a mouthful. Uh, but it's an interest group that advocates for underrepresented and underserved groups. And she's putting together some resources to send people from her community in Ulster County, which, and she uh, works as an attorney in, as the town attorney in the town where uh, Ms. Denise lives. So. Uh, this is right in our hometown, uh, where our heart is, I know, as a community. Uh, and I will post the link in the nest. It's, like I said, a very small fundraiser. She's raised about half of what she wants, which is only $2,000. So every $5, $10 gift is a significant contribution. And uh, it's a person who's dedicated her life to um, all kinds of representation and fairness. Uh, and I, I just want to applaud any attempt to get young people in particular involved in government, in understanding civics, and in speaking their voice. Albany is a place that uh, those of you who are New Yorkers know is notable for its dysfunction, and it's important for people to speak in order to um, assert their power and, and uh, their rights as citizens. So I'll share that, uh, and I'll leave it at that because I know there are a lot more speakers. Thank you so much for the floor, D and, and Soul Sister, and I appreciate everyone else's uh, contributions. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for bringing that to our attention. And please do share that link. I think it is something that we can all, you know, support um, in any way that we can. If we cannot contribute financially, definitely, you know, tweets and retweets are are free. Um, so, so do all that you can to amplify the work of those who are working to help educate our youth and to get them uh, civically um, engaged and involved because that's how we hang on to our democracy. So uh, appreciate you, Steve. Um, thank you so much for bringing it to um, our attention. And up next, I'm going to go to Mark because I know he probably had a response to Danny because that's when he raised his hand and, and the media. So I'm going to go to him and then um, get um, uh, Cher, um, Sweet Pea, Mickey, and then uh, Geechee, who is going to be sharing some more Black history uh, facts with us and updates on the South Carolina primary. So, Mark, you have the floor. 
Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I did raise my hand when when Danny was speaking tonight because I'm in I'm in total agreement with her as usual. Um, but the um, especially as a black man that goes to the black barbershop and in the heart of New Orleans every week, and also goes to uh, when I'm in Oakland, I go to black barbershops and in Oakland, the same ones I've been going to my whole life. Um, and we don't have, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what they were trying to do, uh, because the barbershop ain't having that kind of conversation. Like that might be some, like there might be some conversations about Trump, but like my barbershops, they're not, nobody in there is voting for Trump. They get, and the barbershop is an argument fest. Like you go to barbershop, you either shut up or you talk and you back your shit up. Um, and you know, and, and, you know, I've been, you know, I, I've even brought this up. And there's no one, barbers and patrons included, that are talking about switching to Trump or, you know, there might be some conversation on Cornell West or something like that that comes up. And, and that's an outlier conversation that happens. Um, but for the most part, in, you know, amongst black men, there's an understanding about politics in the black barbershop. We're not stupid. And that's the that's the thing that rubbed me the wrong way is that, um, you know, the uh, and, and disappointed me with regard to how Tremaine Lee's uh, production presented uh, black men is 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 is, is not too and politically in, savvy, right? Um, very uninformed, <laughs> and, and 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 just not not just uninformed, but not even politically savvy. Like you know, not even understand. Well, un, the uninformed obviously leads into the savviness but not understanding what happened during trump and then also here and and just how the economy is booming and and uh led largely by uh you know great numbers for black unemployment um that are pre-pandemic numbers um but that that was helped by dei uh advances as well you know and so not connecting those dots and and him just like not even you know he didn't do anything like you could have put anybody in his place. You could have put me in his place if I just sat there and just like, listen, he didn't steer a conversation. He didn't have a conversation. It was just like, you know, let them talk. And, you know, what were they supposed to talk about? I don't I don't know. They weren't talking like you talk in a barbershop. Um, and also, you know, there was no pushback as to how things are going. This is the best economy that we've had this whole century. Um, and if you're not doing well in this economy, what's going on with you? Are you are you are you? Are you aligned with the the actual economy? Why aren't you? Why don't you have a job? What's going on? Now, there's some people that don't have a job, right? There's some people in between jobs, uh, but for the most part, people that are looking for jobs um, and do not have them are the lowest they've been in the history of the United States, especially for Black people. So, not making these points in these conversations and then seeing how that's digested with these group of individuals, these group of black men, uh, is, a, is a problem for me. And not discussing, and, and frankly, not discussing women's reproductive and, and maternal health in these discussions is, is, a, is a red flag. Like, why aren't you discussing these things even with these black men? Because it's important to them and their loved ones, their sisters and their, their loved ones, and in and, and, uh, and some, some cases, some mothers that are, because that, that are, um, maternal health is maternal health and reproductive health is reproductive health for a long period of time for women. So, you know, I don't, I just don't, I think it was a very base and um, spurious conversation that didn't have anything to do 
with where we are as black men in America and where we need to be um, and what this Biden and Harris administration has done and what we'd like to, them to do more of, what has been working and what we, what we like to emphasize. That, that's the part that was missing from this entire conversation. And it rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, you know, I, just, I just had a, when I heard the, the clip that wasn't a part of the special, it turned me off to Tremaine Lee. I kind of felt like, here's what Tremaine Lee made me feel like. It made me feel like he already had an agenda and he directed the conversation towards his agenda. He wants to Amen. be a, a, a contrarian with regard to Biden Harris because the grift Amen. makes money. Let's be real. The grift makes a lot of money. It's, and people are turning to the grift. Charlemagne's not a fool. He's a money. He's in it for himself. So he wants to make a lot of money. So he's grifting to, to be contrarian. And so you see actual journalists or so-called journalists that aren't just opinion makers, because Charlemagne is not a journalist. He's an opinion maker. Like he's basically like Tucker Carlson. Um, at, at least at least I think he wants to be that because um, he sees the money. But a person that calls himself a journalist, you can't look at that responsibly and say you were doing journalistic things. So that's that's kind of like what my um, my addition to everything that and my acceptance and, and compliment to everything Danny said. Uh, I'm not trying to you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, I, I, I just it, it struck me passionately um, as a as a brother. Uh, that and it offended me too. It offended me because I think that I'm not saying no barbershop is having conversations about Trump, but ain't nobody. I, I'm not hearing nobody in my in in like two different barbershops throughout the last year. Ain't nobody supporting Trump. Like it's not even happening. Um, now there are conversations about you know Democrats and and politics in the United States and what's what's happening with us. And that, that's been happening my whole life. So these are not these are not new conversations for black people or in, in or in black barbershops amongst black men. But you know, there's not when there is politics being talked, it's very pragmatic, just like I mean, black men follow black women. They're their mothers, their sisters, and, and their spouses. Um, and that, that's that's the conversations that happen uh, in real life on this earth. In this galaxy, in this universe, this is real life stuff. So that's the problem I had, and I, you know, one hundred percent, Danny. That was a great summation, and, and I just, I just wanted to come in and say that, like, you know, after um, listening to you, I was, it got me even more bothered because you added so much, um, you added so much um, specifics to it and context to it that it made it, it made it. I don't usually talk about media at all. But it made it simple for me to be able to express my idea. Like, because I was feeling some kind of what? I'm like, man, this is like, this is crazy talk. What is, what is he talking about? Black, black dudes ain't in the barbershop talking like this. And then, and then it turns out all of them are voting for Biden. But you wouldn't even hear that in the in the uh, in the little clip. They're all voting for Biden. Makes you wonder what the purpose of the whole show and conversation was. Correct. So this yeah. is that, that, that old that old uh, Malcolm X saying. What's your angle, man? What's your angle? I'm not going to say what the, what the other part is, but it's like, what's your angle, bro? What's your angle, Tremaine? Like, you know, that, that's, when, that's what it made me um, ask. What is his angle? Like, you know, this, this has nothing to do with us. So anyway, right. thank you for the vine. I appreciate it for coming up again. And, I'm, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I, love, I love it here. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I, I love having your perspective as a black man, um, you know, weighing in 
on that uh, because um, I felt all of that. I didn't engage with any of these because I have learned not to engage with tweets or, or stories that have me emotionally charged. And that certainly did. And I was like, mm-hmm, I'm going to have to breathe and wait a little bit before I respond because I will be coming in hot and heavy. And I, I, I recognize that I don't uh, um, react maybe in the best way when I'm reacting from my emotions. So I allow them to calm a little bit so that I can approach the conversation um, with more productive input. And I uh, am so grateful to all of you who, you know, got in right away because it is important. But uh, thank you again, uh, Danny and, and Mark. And now we have a few other speakers that I'm looking forward to um, hearing from, uh, Cher, then Sweet Pea, and Mickey, and then Geechee. All righty. Um, I'm, I'm all for your emotions, Miss D. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I, uh, big shout out to Miss Danny and, and Mark, um, because basically with, you know, with what we're seeing now, it's, it's a lot, it's not about content. It's about, you know, how many clicks it, it's about clicks and it's about books social, you know, you know, media engagement. And unfortunately, what's missing from that is the being humble enough that if what you rush to put out um, is not correct, to come back and correct it. There's no, you know, people just don't do that. And that's where, you know, again, um, and I forget who had said it, but if if more of them would do that, then yes, you know, a person could look at you and say, well, you know, at least if something isn't right, I know you're going to correct it. So it's a reliable source. Because what I, you know, what I saw going down with the said situation <clears throat> was that, you know, um, it, it, it ended up in just pure ass hurt on being held accountable. That's all it was. Being held accountable by someone who is reputable. They're not paid. They're not, you know, this is not their living, but they're reputable. Everything they, they put out is checked. Everything they put out is receipts. It's someone that I look to if, some, if something is being put out. And as soon as I had saw that, especially after the back and forth that had happened between them, I was like, uh, in fact, I had even posted, this is actually one of the more civil back and forths I've seen in a while. And then, again, you know, the ass hurt kicks in and you know, everything else. But it's about, you know, like clicks and everything. And until we figure out how to start elevating the correct stuff and not elevating the, you know, crap and everything, you know, unfortunately it's, it's just, I mean, this is pretty much what status quo is going to be because again, you know, it's, it, 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 it's not about getting the right stuff out there. It's yeah. just, you know, 
So I, and, and I'm going to echo what Mark said, how Danny had come in here and laid it out. Very, um, very edible soundbite. Um, you know, it, easy to understand. And just how Mark in, engaged with it is the perfect example. Because Mark's like, well, you know, I knew how I feel felt about it, but, you know, but then, you know, Danny came in, put it out a certain way, and then Mark was like, yes, this is, you know, he, he, he navigated that to be able to come back and then add to it. So, um, mucho props to you, Miss Danny. Um, I do want to end on one other thing that was, uh, that was before Miss Danny, though. And it was with, I believe, Maggie. Um, I give so many props to people who make the phone calls to the politicians. I really do. Um, it's time consuming, uh, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's something that's needed. I'm just going to say, I think for this particular bill, um, as far as like the border bill, I think we should not be browbeating Democrats about it. Because I think we as Democrats need to sit back and we need to let these people show themselves for who they are. And if that means that this bill dies, which it's going to and everything, then it just, you know. Well, they're we, we, killing we, it on yeah. purpose, right, you know, right. and it's so it, it will show. <laughs> right. But that's where we just got to sit back. We got to let them do what they're going to do. And then we have to focus on the messaging. We have to focus on saying, okay, all these years they scream for this. And we basically gave them what they want. And you even have this mucho conservative senator, you know, who was like the lead in this bill and everything coming out and saying, this is the best bill ever. And it's like, okay, you know, we basically have given them what they wanted. And because, you know, Mar-a-Lago orange guy um, sees the walls caving in and he sees the things that he feel, felt he could run on slowly getting away from him. Well, we don't want to let this get away. And it's like, you know, because just like, you know, they had that that convoy go down there this weekend, which was a whole big nothing burger. There were other people that went down there. And we're also showing pictures and video and everything. And we're like, there is nothing down here. <laughs> so it's, you know, like I said, I'm not going to browbeat a Democrat if they say that they're not you know, that they're not voting for or, or whatever. Quite frankly, the Democrats just need to sit back and 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 let them choke on this because, yes. you know. So I agree. And um, thank you so much, Chair, for that. I appreciate it. And the, th the truth of the matter is that they are responding uh, to their donor uh, puppet masters because this has been uh, what the Heritage Foundation, which is where most of their big donors come from, and, and Project 2025, it has been a goal of theirs. Uh, the 
um, impeachment of Mayorkas is something that the Heritage Foundation has been pushing. I tweet about it. Um, I will find uh, 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 quite often and I will find the last one that I did. But it goes back uh, to uh, February of uh, last year that um, they actually, if you look at the, the items that they use to craft the impeachment, it's straight out of the Heritage Foundation's book, okay? So we have to understand that their action is being driven by um, the people who are funding them. Um, that's their agenda. And um, as you said, I agree with you, Cher, like let them um, do or not do what they're going to do, because then the, the truth of it shows through that they are not really um, working in an honest way to improve the situation. They're just using it conveniently um, for, you know, an election um, item to run on because the other things that they thought they were going to be able to run on have not proven out either. You know, like they can't run on a bad economy. Um, you know, all of the things that they, they felt like they could run on have been taken away from them. And this is too, because essentially whether it passes or not, it will show that they are the problem. They are not looking for any solutions, just, um, talking points uh, to campaign on. So again, thank you so very much. And up next we have uh, Sweet Pea, then Mickey, and then um, Geechee. Um, I just wanted to say real quick, uh, just Maggie was trying to request again, Mick. I'm not sure if you still want to speak. I'm sorry, I cannot bring you up. So if she does, Miss D, um, and you don't see it, I'll let you know. Um, yes, I saw her and then I, I thought maybe she just changed her mind, but I'll, I definitely will bring her back up if she would like to. So um, Sweet Pea, then Mickey, then Geechee. <laughs> well, thank you, uh, Dee and Soul Sister. Thanks for the mic. Thanks for the space. Uh, a couple points I would like to make out. First, um, Kudos to Danny. When it comes to the media, you are the rock star. I have a request of you. The uh, description that you had for the responsibilities of what media should be doing, um, I checked your timeline. I didn't really see it anywhere, but if you had that written out, I would greatly appreciate it uh, because that's something that I will use frequently. Um, and that, that's what I'd like to talk about. The, uh, problem that I find with the clip over the weekend was that it was a campaign ad for these maggot Republicans. Um, and that's, uh, uh to me, it was a perfect campaign ad for the rhetoric, uh, that Steve Bannon pushes. Which and that is, is sweet pea, can I just stop you there a moment? And that is the the overarching thing of it is that this is something that, as you said, Steve Bannon, Charlie Kirk, and all of those guys have said like back two years ago, they wanted the culture wars and they wanted to create divisiveness within certain demographics, and this is one of them. So continue. <laughs> Okay, but that is exactly where MSNBC is going with their continued coverage. They're not getting better. They're getting worse. 
the other thing that I would like to share, I put up in the Jumbotron, and forgive me, I have a hard time reading it. Um, the gentleman's name is Matt Burrito. Steve Kornacki came out with a new NBC news poll that has Donald, uh, sorry, the Orange Nazi by 47 points, up plus one from November, Joe Biden at 42, down two points since November. What Matt Burrito has pointed out in his tweet, and he's got a longer thread on this, was that 72% white, these are the people that the, okay, bear with me. This is a sample size of the NBC poll. 72% white, which in 2020 was 67. So up 13 conservative ideology and only 30% of the people were identified as Democrat. So that's what I wanted to highlight. If He's got a very interesting long thread, um, but I only put up that that one tweet that he had put out because I think it reflects exactly they're, they're doing it deliberately. Um, and, and that's what really uh, is bothersome to me. Um, but I've cut, I, I've cut it out. Uh, unless it's... Uh, Simone Sanders or Katie Fang or Lawrence O'Donnell, uh, MSNBC is no longer on my TV. I just can't handle it. We we have, well, they're giving we us. Make sure you include Rachel in there on Mondays. <laughs> okay, well, I'll include her on Mondays. Um, sure. But for the majority of the time, they are getting right on board with CNN, and uh, uh, and which is now, in my opinion, Fox Light. Um, so until they start hemorrhaging viewers on a dramatic level, I don't see them, uh, you know, turning the ship around in the direction that it needs to be going through. But um, that that's all I wanted to share. Thank you so much for the space. Well, thank you, Sweet Pea, and it's lovely to hear your voice. Don't hear you as often as I used to, but I know you are busy down there, uh, very civically engaged and um, having, uh, getting others to come along and help you. And I just want to thank you uh, for your continued work and, and thank you for coming in and sharing with us today. But I just wanted to kind of drill down a little bit on, on what you said, because it is very intentional. And I, like I said, I appreciate you bringing up the fact that Bannon and, and some of these um, other right-wing influencers 
um, they are driving some of these um, things. And unfortunately, some of the um, mainstream media is getting on board and, and helping assist them. And also to remind people of the book uh, that um, Clay uh, Kane just uh, wrote about the grift. It was speaking about Black Republicans, but I think that we can also uh, attribute some of this to some of the influencers and, and newscasters and, and journalists and, you know, pundits and those types of things, too. That grift is real. And unfortunately, contrarian, contrarian um, you know, kind of um, punditry is in vogue. Um, it does get engagement, which is why I don't engage with them. I am not giving them uh, what they want. I will talk about them, but I, I, I don't really engage with them. Again, like I said, I just try to counter their their um, falsehoods or or false narratives with with facts and truth. You know, I don't try to dictate how other people do it, but this is what works for me because the the arguing back and forth and stuff it's 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 energy draining to me and I am um, about preserving my energy and my peace of mind and pointing out, you know, what they're doing, why they're doing it and who's kind of um orchestrating and encouraging it because it does fit, you know, the agenda of the Republicans, and they're just helping them. So thank you again so much, Sweet Pea. <laughs> and up next, we've got Mickey, um, who has uh, joined us, and then Geechee. Hi. Uh, well, it's it's good afternoon. It, it, we just made afternoon here. So, uh, one, I'm sorry I missed the um, prior uh, parts of this and I can't wait to hopefully get a chance to listen to what Danny said because everybody seems to be raving about it so um, hopefully I'll get an opportunity to listen. Uh, it's a busy day here. Mondays are busy these days and with the rain it's like oh boy uh, anybody working in construction knows rain is not our friend <laughs> so uh, it's busy but um I watched the special and I had, you know, I put it out there. I said, I don't don't know if I want to reward MSNBC and their little stank, funky um, kind of misinformation propaganda promo uh, by watching uh, the special last night. Um, my husband, you know, mentioned it and uh, he had recorded it. So I said, okay, well, we sat down, we watched together. I will say we had two different viewpoints. I think I get where his view is coming from. I didn't think the piece as structured was about necessarily the black man or black men and voting. For me, it kind of came off more as a, um, a, a support group type gathering. Do you know what I mean? Of venting and touching, you know, as a structure to kind of touch base and, and talk about, well, this is how I feel. And I understand, you know, that those feelings, you know, are, are there. Um, and I acknowledge those feelings. But when it comes to voting, how are you better than the MAGA Republicans when you can't separate your feelings from reality? I don't understand. 
And there wasn't a lot of facts or pushback really discussed. And if it was going to be a discussion, where was the balance? I've said that I, I disagree, particularly with a, many, 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 and we, we've had this conversation as it relates to the whole, you know, Cabo crew, all the rest of the, you know, grifters who come on and say, oh, but we talked, we had a balanced conversation. And I'm like, it's not a balanced conversation. When you do a three-minute segment containing misinformation, or information that is fully that isn't fully fleshed out and then you do 30 seconds with facts and it is incredibly damaging when you cut promos with the misinformation and that gets seen because and then you say oh well you have to watch the whole show no 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 because more people are going to see the promo than watch the show. And that's the really kind of irksome part. I personally, you know, as a black woman found that there were, they started it off. And if you noticed, if you, for those who watched it and saw the scene in the pool room, the Buffalo rapper dude kind of said it. It's like, we mad because black women are getting all this shine. It's essentially what he said. That's exactly the feeling that I got as well. And I've looked at this, this horrendous app and it's being mimicked here as well. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what he said. And then when you go to the other Jeezy, Yeezy, I can't keep all those, you know, easy rappers straight. No offense. I'm old. Yeah, I'm claim that one. It's like when we had rappers back in the day, they could real, really rap and they talked about some real stuff. The, these mumble mouth rappers, I don't understand. But anyway, uh, so, you know, he kind of came in and he's talking about his political experience and the experience he had with Barack Obama. And the way he framed that experience was, I was talking to this black man who was married to a black woman. That is their sole touch point on that experience. Do you know what I mean? And so it kind of, it it anchors their um, disillusionment about what they see with black women giving, being given opportunities. And even my husband and I have some disagreements on this because I get how he experiences racism differently than I do. Because he'll say, well, black men are, you know, in a worse position than black women. And I would say, but there's some, it says it depends on what slice you're looking at. You know, I will definitely say that, you know, black men in terms of, you know, the criminal justice system are definitely more at risk, although black women, unfortunately, are catching up in that statistic. Um, I will say in terms of corporate America, there are very often times where black women are given more of an opportunity than black men. But when you look about 
you know, pay, we still underpay and don't get the promotions. So you could look at health disparities and, and a lot of other metrics. So I think, you know, some of us need to remind the brothers, it's like, yo, who you think out here raising your children? Some of whom happen to be men. As that saying goes, when a black woman succeeds, we raise the entire community. And I'm going to need, not all, but I'm going to need some brothers to remember that. Because like Killer Mike and just found out, it's like, oh, you got arrested? Gee, that's too bad. Don't look to me to come crying. You you had mouth almighty about against Stacey Abrams and didn't want to help the rest of the black community. So go solve your own problems. Peace, love, and happiness. And it's not a war I want to start between black men and black women because we do need to come together, understand, and support each other. But what I ain't going to be as collectively disrespected by a bunch of hoteps and wannabe hoteps. So I'm going to do what I need to do politically. I'm going to work with brothers who are supportive and loving of which this group is filled with many of them and our other allies. But for the rest of them, you know, I, I got other things to do in my life. Peace. That was my sentiment on self-assessment. I hear you, and and I would agree with that. We do need to come together, um, but you know, um, sometimes, um, and and we don't always have to agree. And I think it is important for us to to see the various ways, um, you know, the viewpoints and the perspectives that we're coming from, uh, and to try to find common understanding around that. And I guess the thing that bothers me most about that kind of conversation, the way it was done and everything is, um, it just kind of, um, you know, it um, diminishes, you know, really what's at stake, you know, really what's at stake. You know, and I feel like um, they they're they're missing that they're burying it, you know, and I, I think it's important for us to continue to have these conversations and to know what's at stake, to talk about it, to correct the, the narratives that are being pushed that we know are inaccurate or being uh, served to us uh, for a particular agenda and purpose. So. Totally agree with you, Mickey. And thank you so much for coming up and joining us today. Uh, you know, I just want to add that we have to remember that the GOP is the party of grievance. It's the grievance over politics party. I mean, o o over over partnership, over over people. That is what they do. And they have found um, a way to entice some people to even if they don't go and vote for the GOP, it's the fact that they're having this very vocal, very loud conversation um, without even thinking of the damage that could be done when they're not truly well-informed and they're not giving a full um, spectrum uh, view of 
their ideologies and what's important to them. I think part of it is that they are somewhat reluctant, um, maybe even afraid. That's not probably not the exact correct word to, to be saying what they're saying out loud. And so they're trying to be a little slick about it. It's really, it's, it's really a bad look. Um, and I, I don't know if these men regret what they said out loud. I have a feeling they don't because I have a feeling they feel very justified in how they answered those questions in the discussion that was had. And that's unfortunate. Absolutely. So appreciate it. So up next, we've got um, Geechee, who I invited to come share with us today. I'm very much looking forward to um, his contributions uh, to the space. And I see uh, Dr. Marshall has joined us and I am so honored. Uh, your name was invoked earlier today uh, from some Black history that you shared with us um, uh, last year during Black History Month. And uh, Soul Sister did a little bit more digging on the washerwoman strike. So I, I hope that you're able to go back and, and listen to all of the kudos and love that was given to you and how much we love and appreciate you. So um, up next, we've got uh, Geechee and then my friend Carl um, and LMZ and Dr. Marshall. So wonderful space as always, because we have such wonderful folks in our community who are willing to share their knowledge and expertise. So thank you so very much. Hola. Hola. Hello. Hola. Um, first, I want to thank you and Soul Sister for having this space and allowing me to speak. I want to thank all the other speakers that have spoken so far. Y'all have brought fire and that information and the truth, and I appreciate all of that. Um, I want to talk about a few things today. First, the role of women in the struggle to, from having them in the struggle to now having a female VP, um, and the misogyny that went from them being hidden in the struggle to now being up front and center when it comes to talking about our community. Um, the Black vote, Black rule next urban America, and the Muslim American vote. So with that, um, I've been writing these pieces every day, um, Black History Heroes and Sheroes, and the one I'm doing today is on Ella Baker, and it really made me sad. Oh my goodness, she is my hero. And uh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Go it ahead. made me sad because this is a woman that founded the SDLC and was one of the founders of SNCC, and wasn't allowed to speak at the march. And what was told to her on why she couldn't speak at the march, how it would like bring less enthusiasm, it would hurt our credibility to have a woman speaker at the march, hurt my soul. It really hurt my soul. And it reminded me of the reluctance, because y'all know that when we were in the primary season in 2020, I was all over the low country of South Carolina talking about Kamala, how I was so pro-Kamala, how I was so pro-Kamala. And most of the people in my family, almost all the people in my family, were like, oh, we're voting for Joe. She could be vice president, but we're voting for Joe. Like, there's no way we're voting. She's not going to beat Trump. And I'm just like, well, Obama, Obama's a man. I was, like, shocked. I was just, like, stunned. Like, like y'all are not even considering. This is so no. good. You like it? Huh? Marshall. Sorry, sorry. Oh. <laughs> okay, sorry. go ahead. Okay. But 
in this last primary we had, um, Biden did show up and show out. But it's not about some people will poo-poo it saying, oh, there's only four percent turnout. Well, four percent turnout, as as bad as that is, is actually good for a primary where he has no real challengers and he's an incumbent president. Normally you don't have primaries for this, but we have Twiddle D and Twiddle Dumb that are choosing to um, challenge Biden. So this is where we're at. But I want us to focus on something else that means more than the percentage of the vote we get from either black men or black women. Because the media often quotes the 86 or 87% of the black vote that Biden won and the 79% of black men that voted for him versus the 90% of black women and try to make it a struggle. And I'm going to tell you those numbers do not matter. Something I said when Stacey Abrams was running, it's better to win 70% of black men and black men are 14% of the vote than to win 90% of black men and they're 7% of the vote. The problem we need to fix in the black community is we need more black men to show up. Even if they give the Republicans 20, 30% of the vote, it doesn't matter because if they're showing up and being part of the population, they're replacing a white voter that is going to most likely be majority um, in favor of the Republicans. Same with Latino voters, same with Asian voters. And with that, I'm talking about the men in those communities. And once again, before um, this also is not an issue that is only with black men. It also happens with Latino men and Asian men also. They also vote half as much as Latino women, Asian women. Black men vote half as much as black women. I would rather turn out more black men than worrying about the percentage of them that are voting for Democrats. The turnout matters. We get six, excuse me, 57 plus percent turnout from black voters. We're going to win. That's happened since 1964. It's happened in 64. It's happened in 2008. It happened in 2012. And it happened in 2020. Biden won a smaller percentage of the vote than Kerry and Hillary Clinton and Gore. But he got elected because more of us showed out. Gore won the third highest share of black vote ever. We had one of the lowest turnouts. Turnout matters more than the percentage of the vote. So don't fall into that trap. Oh, this, this, and the other. We need more turnout. Finally, I want to talk about the Muslim Arab vote. Because in my humble opinion, we should give grace to people that show this content in our community like we do other communities. I understand that the Muslims are upset. We should be allowed to be upset too and also say, I'm still voting for Joe Biden. I can be upset about a policy or a position or I don't like this person that works for Biden. I don't like Mayor Pete, um, but whatever. I can be upset, but I'm still going to vote for Joe Biden. I'm still going to vote for Joe Biden. And Mark was right. These conversations in the barbershop about politics really don't take place until after Labor Day. And usually those conversations, and it depends where I'm at in the country, if I'm in New Jersey, it's really elevated. It's a really elevated um, conversation. But I can be in a city like Houston or Orlando or Miami, and it, it can be all over the place. Or if I'm in rural America, and it's just like they don't do anything for us. We got broadband finally. We don't get anything else. Y'all get all these things. And then it becomes a conversation about blue states versus red states. And then the conversation about, and I think it was Soul Sister that brought it up. No, it was Mickey that brought it up about the Obama piece. Obama is like this glaring 
star in the sky that will not go away. And it's like Barack and it's Michelle. Because I always say Michelle won South Carolina for Barack more than Barack did. And it's like these glaring supernovas that are in the sky and everything is being compared to them. We don't have to have everybody be Barack Obama for us to win. I wish everybody was Barack Obama, but not everybody's going to be Barack Obama. But we have to be okay with the fact that we may do a couple of points worse, but we can still win if people turn out. And we also have to remember that these voters that are in South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Texas, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, they're not getting the same benefit that I'm getting in New Jersey. Or these people that live in rural and urban black counties aren't getting the same benefits of infrastructure and health care. And, and they suffer from brain drain that we don't get here. We get college graduates to come here. As soon as they get out of school, they're like, oh, let me move to New York or D.C. or L.A. or Chicago and make a bunch, San Francisco and make a bunch of money. They're not going back home to Jasper County, South Carolina or to Allen County, South Carolina. They're not going back there. They're going to places where they can make money. And again, the misinformation about the Muslim Arab vote is wrong. Blacks, Indians, and by Indians I mean from India, not Native, not um, those that are Native or Indigenous Americans. African immigrants, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Jews, and Muslims have given Democrats 80-plus percent of their vote since 2000. They did not protest Whitmer because of gay issues. She won 88% of that vote. Neither did black voters abandon Kerry in 2004. If I tell you I'm gay, if y'all did not know that, um, the number of gay people that blame black people because Prop 8 got killed in California, instead of blaming the fact that whites voted against it, Asians voted against it, Latinos voted against it, everyone in your state voted against it. But they wanted to blame black voters around the country for all these gay marriage bans. And in 2008, they wanted to blame Latinos for all these gay marriage bans that happened. Oh, they voted for Obama, but they came and voted. Okay, everyone else, you're in Idaho. Idaho voted against it in either 2004, 2008. There aren't a lot of blacks and Latinos in that state. They voted against it. So did Utah. So did, did Wyoming. Like, what are we doing? Um, again, Whitmer won 88% of that vote. And the same level of support that she had in Wayne County in 2022, excuse me, in 2018, she had in 2022. We have to stop spreading Islamophobic hate. So in conclusion, and I'm sorry for going so long, turn out Trump's share of the vote. Again, 57 plus percent of the black turnout will win us the election. And there's one thing I also really miss, and I'm so glad you all have these places on Monday. There used to be these media spaces on Sunday. I can't remember the name of the host. They were so good. If y'all can like reach out to this, these hosts and tell them that media space, I think it was called Be Behind or Beyond the Fourth Wall. It was so good. It was so really good. But I don't remember who the hosts were. And it was like so absolutely good. If y'all can just remind these hosts, how good the space was. And again, I can't remember their name. Maybe it was Danny and Don. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, it would be nice for that space to come back. Love you, Danny. Absolutely agree. <laughs> so, Geechee, 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for showing love and shedding light on uh, the work of Sister Ella Baker. She is one of my sheroes for sure. Um, I always try to elevate her during, um, you know, it's often as I can, but especially um, because she she was involved in so much, like all of these major organizations, like she was on the board of, of the Southern Leadership Conference, like all these men. And she was the only one, like first the only woman and the only one who was not a minister. Um, she was very involved um, in the um, training development of, of SNCC and, and so many other um, or grassroots organization of that time. And, and like you, I think that's maybe why I'm drawn to her is because um, she wasn't, the misogyny was real um, and um, she was not, um, you know, given, I think, uh, the the same attention that that the men were. So thank you so much for for elevating and highlighting her um, today. And, and thank you for pointing out um, the statistics as well, um, because I do I think I've I've caught a few threads and I've caught a few conversations um, that I knew in my gut wasn't actually correct and I really I really appreciate you fleshing that out for us um, but it's so crazy that you did the Ella Baker as well because literally just was having that conversation with Miss D and it is seriously something that she was she's very passionate about so I appreciate you making her day and making I would like day with that info definitely add to that I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off I was just trying to no thank break. you um you know, yes, this whole frustration where, you know, okay, women, y'all can help with the civil rights movement and moving us forward, but please stay in the background. You know, it, it, it's, you know, Ella Baker, it is um, Diane Nash, it's Dorothy Height. Yes, and, and Miss Nash is right here in Nashville, and right. she's still involved. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, there just were so many women who were, you know, involved in the struggle and made the civil rights, helped to make the civil rights movement what it was, but didn't get the accolades at that time. And in, also in terms of the excitement piece, I'm going to see if I can find it and post it in the nest because I probably retweeted it. But this that whole thing... Um, where Joe Madison, you know, there were a lot of touching tributes to him uh, last week in his passing, but there was one where he kind of reminded us, he was talking to somebody about excitement and the need for voter excitement for a candidate. And he said, I don't need to have an orgasm for a candidate, you know, to, to vote for them, something to that effect. And it's true. We need to remind folks. It's like not everybody is going to be, you know, President Obama. That just, that's like a, you know, a, you know, you get one or two of those in, in a lifetime. In a lifetime, yes. People <laughs> just kind of, you know, think that it's always going to be that way. And we just have to, especially the people who grew up with Obama as president, it's like, no, there were a lot of boring ass presidents. You know, I, I'm sorry. You ain't going to get, you know, fine and and 
wonderful eloquent eloquent, and brilliant articulation and 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 hip you know in every single president you need to stop expecting that but you can get some people who are going to move your agenda forward and that we also have to remind that if y'all want real transformation voting blue voting democratic and, and i think we also have to kind of stop saying the acronyms because that's not what appears on the ballot that's another thing say democratic say republican do not use blue do not use red do not use gop or other phrases because that's not what appears on the ballot and i want people to know when they see that ballot if they don't remember nothing else All these people kept telling me about that Democrat thing versus Republican thing. So let's all be real clear in our messaging and make sure we use Democrat and Republican and make those distinctions because some people get in voting booths or they get their ballots and they don't, you know, GOP, they don't know what GOP means. You know what I mean? Exactly. Especially if they're not politically, you know, tuned in, you know, all the time. So um, great point, Mickey. So that that was the other thing. So the the excitement, be real clear about your terms. And yeah, let's make sure everybody involved and not just, you know, and then let's just, you know, LGBTQ folks too, like Bayard Rustin, who was the architect of the march on Washington. So, hello, everybody, you know, let's all claim, you know, everybody who helped in the movements. And um, we need to, you know, get out of this moment issue. I think that that was one thing I think that Reverend Al said on that piece in the segment last night that was so true. And he said it before, you know, we've got to stop having these moments and, and, and just sustain a movement. If we had 12 years of people voting Democratic up and down the ticket, we would have the transformation that this country, that all the, all the so-called progressives say they want in this country. And, um- Absolutely. And that is what they are terrified of, because I can't even remember when I saw it, but quite some time ago, that is their fear, is that we will often that we will um, have those 12 years in order to actually codify real lasting change, which is why they want to interrupt this cycle. So. Um, thank you again for saying that. And, and I mean, we've said it before in different ways. I think to Kay, who often comes and shares with us, you know, talking about our vote being, you know, a chess move. And um, it is, you know, about finding that that candidate who can get us closer. They may not be able to deliver everything that we want, um, but get us as close as possible. I've often heard people talk about it in terms of, you know, like um, a train ride, like you may not uh, be able to get on the one that's going to take you to to the doorstep, but you can get on the one that's going to take you to the closest stop to get you closest there. And then you find the next one because uh, progress is incremental. As much as people hate it, that is just how it happens. The destruction 
of our democracy has been a sustained incremental um, agenda. So um, we have to stay focused and yes, absolutely agree uh, with uh, Reverend um, Al uh, on that as well. And I've heard him say that before that it, it is more than a moment. This, this is a movement and it is a movement to preserve our democracy. Okay. That, that was the one good line I would have to say that came out of that special. If, oh. if people walk away with nothing, that was something that he said. And uh, it's worthwhile repeating. Thank you for saying it. I did have it in my notes. Awesome. Well, um, I am um, looking forward to the next few speakers that we have up. And that is Carl. I'm so glad I, I meant to reach out um, to you um, um, over the weekend, but I'm glad that you came up uh, to share with us today. Uh, so we've got Carl and then Dr. Marshall and LMZ. Well, I'm going to be short and sweet. Uh, when we're talking about alternative radio, check out Pacifica Radio Network. They are all, they're non-corporate. They only take donations. They're, they don't even take donations like NPR. It's pure donations. They have a few stations in L.A., New York, San Fran, and I can't remember, and I think Texas has a, a station. And they're, they're, on, they're on X slash Twitter. Democracy Now! is one of their shows, if you've ever seen that or heard that. It's excellent. Yes. And, and um, this might sound crude and rude, but I, my father used to say, I, I, I quoted it to D in, in DM, my father used to say, if, don't believe in statistics unless you understand who's making the stats because if you die in Israel you can be resur statistically resurrected so be careful how you read the stats I I appreciate that and thank you uh, for sharing that Carl um, and I'm so glad that you were able to join in and um, yes amplifying good sources of uh, media and, and information and you guys know that I am a big NPR and PBS uh, fan. And if you weren't here earlier, I shared in, in the nest, one of the first stories is a continuing story, which you guys have heard me talk about before when my cousin was running for the county commission seat that she was robbed of, um, you know, from a, a runoff. Uh, they are now um, Blaze Ganey, which is our local NPR reporter, is continuing that story. And he, he sent it to me this morning. It's going to be a series of four but this is what happened. Like we have to stop them because all they need is a foot, an inch in the door before they tear it all down. And now my my old hometown, my home county is basically ran by um, extreme far right political um, Republicans, and they call themselves the Sumner County Constitutional Republicans. And, um, you know, to, you know, some of their extreme views is, you know, them, um, they have their white uh, Christian nationalism thread running through all of it. And we have, I'll be, you know, reporting more on the stories that, that uh, Blaze is doing, but um, the 
uh, elections began um, October 14th, and this is uh, uh, six seats for school boards, um, a general sessions judge, and the assessor of property. And they are not allowing, um, they're basically you know, running like a pack uh, there to make sure that they get people who think like them and support their agenda in every seat of power in the county. And this is how you lose democracy. And don't forget when in the midst of, you know, the kerfuffle around her not having a runoff when they were, you know, had, um, you know, an open meeting to have it discussed, one of them literally said that, like, we're not a democracy. Like, democracy leads to anarchy. That's how extreme these people are. And so that's one county in our state. And if they can do it there, they can do it in another, and then another, and then another. And we have quite a few of them in our state legislature right now because they were able to run unopposed. So it is so important that we make sure that we are finding, supporting, or running if, if, if we are so inclined uh, to, in opposition to these people everywhere. Um, we have to because they have a very, very specific agenda and it is not to expand democracy. It is to, uh, it's nihilistic and it's to um, take, tear democracy down, essentially. So with that, I'm going oh, to give it to... Before you go, Dee, before mm -hmm. I go, put the, what Robert Reich said. You and I both... Um, I put it in the thread. I did. Okay. Okay. Yes. Thanks. All right. Yeah, and he yeah, he talked about um, you know how when we lose when multi uh, billionaires take over uh, the arms of of uh, communication or whatever that leads to oligarchy, and I mean we are already in the in the midst of that, and that's what you know the Heritage Foundation and their agenda you know is certainly pushing. So thanks again, Carl. Great um, great um, tips and and information that you have shared with us. I appreciate that. So looking forward next to hearing from our beloved Dr. Marshall and then LMZ. Um, good afternoon, Dee and Soul Sister. Actually, I saw LMZ's hand up for a little bit before mine, and I don't mind um, waiting my turn. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, that's okay. Oh, Thank oh, you. No. But, oh, but that's okay, Dr. Marshall. I want to defer. I mean, that's okay. I'll defer to you with it being Black History Month. I most certainly don't want to go before you, and especially as one of our respected elders, my my white voice does not need to be heard before yours, ma'am, although I <laughs> definitely appreciate you being that kind. I most certainly can wait. I promise. Thank you so much, though. Okay. So um, it's been a while since I've spoken uh, good afternoon to everyone in the room. I will go back and listen to everything that I missed before I came in. I have still been recovering from a fall more than a couple of months ago. Although I didn't break or fracture anything, you know, having a concussion can have other kinds of long-lasting effects. Um, what I wanted to follow up on, first of all, I wanted to apologize to Mickey. I was trying to give you a thumbs up on something you said, and, and it came with a thumbs down. So I'm so sorry 
when you, if you listen back to the space and you see my thumbs down, it was a mistake. And I also wanted to comment on what Mark said about, I don't know if anyone, I came in late. I don't know if anyone else spoke about the barbershop, but I typically get my hair cut every two weeks. And I was really, I missed the conversation last last night, Black Men in America. I had it on my agenda and then I couldn't remember what channel it was on. But on the one hand, from the comments I'm hearing, I'm maybe glad I missed it because I would have been furious and I didn't need anything to add to my headache. I was already angry with the promos that I saw. But I can tell you that in the barbershop that I go to, um, there's no conversation about black men not supporting Biden. They have their um, conversations about things that they wish he would do more about, uh, speak more on, um, perhaps things that he hasn't uh, spoken about yet. But um, trust me, the barbershop that I go to, and I've been going to the same barbershop for about 20 plus years, and I know these men well. I, I know a lot of the customers. I'm generally the only female that comes in, at least on the days that I go, and I go on specific days at a specific time, and they all know me. If there was anything that they had a question about, um, they sometimes will wait until I'm there. And between getting my hair cut, I'm pummeled with questions because they want to know what I think about certain things and what do I think Black women think. So I'm torn at the moment between trying to find Black men in America on YouTube so that I can listen to what seemed like a disappointing conversation for many in the room and whatever else was or was not said. Um, and as I said, I will go back and listen to the whole space. Thank you, Soul Sister, for whatever information you did on The Washerwoman. That, well, when I researched that and wrote about it, I was really surprised at the information that I got and how I was able to connect it to my great-grandmother and others in the community. Although I didn't know my great-grandmother, I know lots of stories about her from the information that my grandmother and grand-aunts saved. The thing that I want to share today is to let everyone in the room know that um, probably by Wednesday and, and at the latest for sure by Friday, I will be posting an announcement about a black newspaper. I've posted short articles from a black newspaper called The Echo that was published in Augusta, Georgia long before my time. But I, through my ancestors, had 28 editions, 
copies from 1920 to 1922. And I've spent the last 20 plus years organizing those copies. They're over 100 years old. And I was finally able to get them. I donated them to Emory University in Georgia. And I was finally able to get them digitized and online. And what I've done is created a link to the digitized copies as well as a PDF of a partial index so that you know what's in some of the issues. Some issues are only two pages, some are four pages long, some are six. But what is surprising to me now, you've been hearing a lot from Republicans, conservatives, and what I call the question mark others saying that they want to go back to the good old days. Well, these newspapers are from the good old days, the 1920s. And what you will find is that reading some of the articles from these newspapers sounds like reading articles from 2023 and 2024. So just to give you an example, um, the newspaper covers topics that were important to the community, both the local community in Augusta, Atlanta, all of Georgia, but also state and nationally. And there are some articles that are international. Um, one of the things, it, it also covers a lot of art. It has a lot of articles on women, by women, men supporting women. There are a lot of articles on voting rights, and particularly in the 1921 issues, as women got the right to vote in 1919, but black women didn't really get the right to vote until the 1960s. So when you read these articles and you see there are mass meetings being held to discuss voting rights and what women are going to do, you would think that we're talking about the 2020s. And when you look at the newspaper, you're in the 1920s. There's one copy which prints the entire dire bill, dire bill for uh, on lynching. That bill was introduced originally, I, I believe it was around 1917 or 1918, and it did not pass until last year. I mean, oh, it took almost 100 years for the bill to finally get out of committee through the House, through the Senate, and finally be passed. Um, there are articles there by James Weldon Johnson, Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, and many other esteemed black men and women that you may or may not have heard of. And of course, like most newspapers, whether they were black and or white of that time period, and even as far as into the 1970s, I haven't looked at a daily news or 
a New York Post or any of the others, even in the New York Times, I, I, I don't recall seeing in the Times or the Wall Street Journal or some of the more upscale newspapers a gossip column. Um, there may be gossip, but it's not necessarily in a, quote, gossip column. But you'll find the gossip column interesting as well. It, it's not necessarily gossip about who's sleeping with whom, but gossip about who's running for what office and whether or not um, their partner is aware of it or if they have the qualifications to do so. So I am extremely happy that finally the newspaper has been digitized and is online. Before I released the link to it, I wanted to make it even easier for readers to have an idea of what was in the newspaper and to also show how much the articles of that time period, you know, we know that if it were up to some, we'd be back in enslavement. They're not even thinking about us as free people or wanting us to be free, independent, have our own thoughts and desires. So, um, as I said, between now well, definitely not today. I've had a rather difficult day, but I've already typed up the partial index. The information is, everything is ready. It's just a, a matter of my trying to fit the short introduction into, what is it, it's 300 or 200 words that um, X is going to allow me. So I'm actually happy I was able to get home and enter the space early enough or in time to, to make you aware of the fact that I'm going to post this information. And since it will be online forever, as long as the internet is available, I hope that all of you will take the time to just pick any mini mini mo choose an issue and take your time and go through it. I think you will find it both enlightening, educational, uh, surprising, definitely informative. And you might see articles that you like. And if so, comment on them you know, in a tweet, um, amplify them or indicate how they relate to something that you've read, that you know, or um, remember. The only other thing that I wanted to add to the discussion today is in terms of us talking about Black history, don't forget your neighbors. Many of you like myself, have people right in our community, perhaps if not living in our homes, living very close to us who are gems, but the rest of the public, maybe even the neighborhood, don't even know about what these people are doing or have done 
in terms of helping to make life better for everyone, not just the black community, but for humanity as a whole to help maintain democracy and people who are doing their very best. You know, we can all do something and the something that we do may not be advertised like what president, the former President Obama and Mrs. Obama did and continue to do, but it's just as important as what they did. Everybody can do something. You just need to find out what your something is. We all have a mission I believe we all have a mission in this life. And I don't think any one person's mission is necessarily greater than another. The public may perceive your mission as having more importance and more value to the world than I do or my neighbor or my child or family member. But as long as we're all doing something, particularly at this point in our lives, in time, something that helps to maintain democracy as we know it and helps to defeat the orange-haired man and others like him, then what that thing that we do, it's important. That's my contribution to our discussion today. And I look forward to hearing your comments about the newspaper. I am, I, I was so, so excited when I found the newspaper. When our home in Georgia closed, our home, we had our property for over a hundred years. And when the decision was made to finally sell the house because there just wasn't anyone there. And when you're renting a home where you're not there or you're not there often enough to make sure that the people living in it are taking care of it, and if it's empty, it becomes a fire hazard and just so many things can happen. I was truly, truly saddened to have to see the property sold. And as my cousin, who's deceased now, but I tried at one point to convince, it was air property. So I tried at one point when I was in my early, well, actually my late teens, I tried to convince the owners, the members of my family who were then the current owners, I tried to convince them to sell the house to me because I knew then that I would be the one to write the family history. And I thought our house at that point, based on where it was located, would make the perfect black history or black museum. And there was no black museum at the time in Augusta. There is one there now, but there wasn't at that time. And everyone thought that I was too young. I didn't know what I was talking about. 
However, um, and it was also, you know, they say you can't go home again. Some of us can go home, but it's not quite the same when we've been away from it. For me, that house truly was going home because I was the last member of my family to actually be born in the home. My grandmother was a midwife and delivered me. So I, I can remember times when I was in undergraduate school, if I was upset about something and could not find a solution, I would actually fly home to Georgia. Not as much as I loved my family, I, I wasn't really going home to see them. There was just something about the house that going into the house made me feel as though all of my family was there. My ancestors, my mom was in New York, but I felt like I was re-entering the womb again because everything that was important to my life at that time was present. It was a spiritual experience for me. And selling the property and the home, it was extremely traumatic. But what has bathed and healed my traumatic wounds has been working on this family history. This newspaper is certainly a large part of that. So I will be delving into every single issue, every article, every ad, just so that I know what happened during that time period. And also discovering whether or not there are articles there about my family. I've already discovered two. But... I think we need to know our history. I mean, you all know that I think that, but I'm always looking for ways in which I can share our history with everyone. And this newspaper is just going to help further that goal of mine, a lifetime goal to continue sharing Black history, 365 days of the year. This year, I get to do it 366 days because it's leap year. With that being said, thank you for allowing me to sort of share my joy, a little bit of my pain, but mostly my joy. And it is always such a pleasure to see this space on Mondays. I've told Dee a number of times, I, I know that she has a life, as we all do, and that um, this space is not her whole life. But I have told her how much I wish that she were able to do this a little bit more often. But I also know there's a lot of preparation that she does to bring us the information that she does and that she and Soul Sister, as well as many of you in the space, when you want to share information with us. I think about Danny. I think about Mark. Thank you, Mark, for such wonderful legal information that you bring us. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Geechee. 
Um, thank you, Adam. I haven't heard you speak in a long time. And I could go on calling names and I would miss some, but I just want to thank each and every person who weekly contributes information to the space. I have learned so much and become become much more political in my own, much more knowledgeable in my own understanding of politics in general. And I'm still very interested in the politics of D.C. because I spent many years there. I even had a six-week stay in Florida, hate Florida with a passion, would never live there again. But I'm still interested in the politics of Florida. I learned through studying family history that my family also spent a long time in parts of Alabama. So I'm interested in what happens in Alabama. I'm interested in what happens in our country. And thanks to all of you, because we're from all over the country, thanks to each of you, I've gotten a much better understanding and a greater, a wider um, perspective about what's actually happening in the country. And I encourage you to continue coming to this space, continue contributing and educating all of us. Thank you again so very much. And I will end here and um, look forward to next week and to more information. All right. Well, thank you so very much, folks. And yes, um, that um, archive that she has there at Emory, I I learned so much from her, from it. Um, It's a wonderful work that she is doing and laying the foundations that um, many of our descendants will be relying on. And these are, this is information that her ancestors made available to her um, and that she is taking the, the time to make sure it is preserved. And I am so grateful to you. And it is just um, um, an immeasurable um, asset to us, I know, uh, and to your family. So the Echo is now online and I am looking forward to perusing the pages and and finding um, a lot of history that we may not be um, able to, to find anywhere else because Dr. Marshall is busy plucking out jewels and things. So always um, am honored and delighted when you come in and share with us and just want to continue to give you your dues, your flowers for the work that you do. And uh, so thank you once again uh, for coming and sharing with us uh, today. So uh, we are coming to a close. We're going to be wrapping up. So I have LMZ and then uh, Geechee and Mark uh, will be our final speakers. And of course, then my fabulous co-host. So thank you all so very much. I think it has been a delightfully informative uh, space as always. And that is because of all of you who have come and shared with us today. And um, also to those of you in the gallery listening supporting and encouraging us. So I I just want to let you know how appreciative I am of all of you. So LMZ, you have the floor, my dear. Good afternoon, Miss D. Can you hear me all right? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Good afternoon, so sister. Can you hear me? 
I can hear you. Yay. Okay. <laughs> um, happy Black History Month to everyone in the space. Happy first Monday of Black History Month to everyone in the space. Um, thank you for allowing me as um, a white person to speak in your space. Um, there is some ideology that believes, honestly, that white people should not be speaking at all during Black History Month. So thank you so much for the grace and the opportunity to speak today. Major shout out to um, Danny for always coming in and um, telling the truth and shaming the devils when it comes to the fourth estate. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, just bringing the fire and bringing the heat. That was, that was incredible. Um, also, what an honor to have spent this first Monday of Black History Month and have learned so much more from Dr. Marshall. Thank you so much, Dr. Marshall. Namaste to everyone in the space. And um, I am here to speak about um, what the and how the Super Bowl um, has now become a threat to our democracy. So um, stay with me if you want to hear about that, because trust me, at the end, I'll be tying it into how the Super Bowl, one of the largest televised events every year um, across not just America, but the actual planet, has become a threat to our democracy here in the United States of America. So um, I'm going to say her name, and I'm going to hear so many of you already huff and puff and get disgusted when I say her name. And I apologize for that because that's actually not even her fault. Um, but I have to say her name because of how people are using her as a threat to her um, democracy. And that is the name of Taylor Swift. And I will go ahead and say that I am not a Swifty. I don't own a single Taylor Swift album. I have never been to a Taylor Swift concert. I have not streamed the Eras uh, concert tour off of Amazon Prime or anything of the sort. However, um, I don't actively hate or take time out of my um, daily life to put energy and effort into um, disliking a particular entertainer. I mean, there's a couple songs, of course, I know, because how could you not know Shake It Off? Um, it got played so many times. Um, I mean, it's the kind of stuff you hear going through Target at this point. It's been played so much. Um, but I don't just actually spend my time hating a entertainer or celebrity or a music person. That might not be my favorite type of music. Y'all know my favorite type of music. I, you know, make videos of me in the car singing or rapping along to them. That's not the point. I think it's spiritually ungrounded to have fan bases that actively hate another fan base of a music. You should be able to support your favorite, whomever that is, without hating and disparaging someone else's. But I know there seems to be quite a bit of people that hate her because they think she's a mediocre white woman, or they go all the way back to the previous time when she got famous for the first Grammy instance when I'm not going to bring up other entertainers' names or even go into that kind of gospel when democracy is on the line. So I know that there's all this, you know, hatred and stuff around her. But the fact that we are at the point that our democracy is so fragile that America's pastime, that there are people actually saying that this girl from, is she from Tennessee, Miss D? 
she is not from here. Her family moved her here to um, kickstart her um, country music career. career. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she went All to right. school here. Um, okay. In so, my um, county, actually. Okay. So a longtime resident of Tennessee <laughs> is somehow a part of some deep state conspiracy to re-elect POTUS is a level of insanity that people are making jokes of, making memes about, making late night talk show stuff about. And personally to me, as an American citizen, I don't find it funny at all. It's not a joke and it's not funny. Now let's break a couple things down. Every single athlete that's going to play this weekend and who has ever played at any other, any Super Bowl before this coming Super Bowl, but the, the, all the gentlemen that are going to play this Sunday in Las Vegas are not thinking about whom they're going to vote for on November 5th, 2024. They are playing in the biggest game of their life. These are men who have grown up playing football, that played football throughout their high school years, their college years, their professional career. And this is the epitome and the pinnacle of the highest level of um, their athleticism and their career to be in the Super Bowl. They are not thinking about while they're on the field, who am I going to vote for? And I need to play the game a certain way or a particular way to rig this game so that a certain team wins or a certain team loses because this is going to help out a political party. I mean, the insanity that I have to go through to even just have said that to y'all almost gives me a headache. It almost gives me a headache. But it's only white supremacy that can come up with something that twisted. I mean, literally can only come up with something that twisted. But that is where we are. The Super Bowl is a moment in time that used to be something that unified. I didn't say was 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 the end all be all. I didn't say that, but unified people across this country to watch it, across the globe to watch it. I mean, I can remember growing up, and people don't like to hear that when you're of a certain age because they don't they don't want to hear it. But it's facts. You would go out on Super Bowl night if you had to, and it didn't matter what business you ran into. Every single business, whether it was even just a tiny black and white TV, had their television set turned to CBS because the people that had to work Sunday night somewhere were not going to miss the Super Bowl. I can remember being an airline employee myself. And every TV set in in the airport would be turned to that. Any restaurant you went into, even if it wasn't a sports bar, anywhere you went, it was on. Not to mention the U.S. Armed Services, not serving in the military myself, but having members of my family that have, have spoken about how much it meant that wherever they were placed on this planet, that second Sunday would come in February. And they would be able to be connected to home and watch the big game. I can remember churches growing up as a kid in the United States of America, black churches and white churches 
I know this from personal experience, having rated G family life center parties with Super Bowl parties with pizza and popcorn and no gambling. And people would come out and meet after they were at church earlier in that Sunday and come back by 530 to watch the national anthem and the kickoff and the whole thing. Okay. So these people, <laughs> these people have taken something that that and yes we can go through the history of the fact that they said they weren't watching it since Colin Kaepernick took a knee and all that I got all that guys you don't need nobody needs to school me on the NFL or the history or or the racism of it or the hypo I I don't need any of that trust me but what I'm trying to tell you is these people right now in the year of our Lord 2024 have taken something like the Super Bowl where people that don't even watch football all year turn in to enjoy and laugh at the commercials. People tune in to watch incredible musical performances like the historical performance of Prince in the actual rain and, and other incredible things. You know, one of my favorites was Beyonce's because of Destiny's Child's reunion during that. We don't have to debate. What was your favorite? But some incredible, incredible Super Bowl halftime performances, right? The king of pop himself, Michael Jackson. This year, Usher, 30 years of Usher Raymond doing his thing. This is what I'm talking about. We cannot even enjoy something like the Super Bowl because these fools have now said that the game is rigged. So all those men, 53 men on both sides, all those coaches and all of them are in on this, right? Kids that grew up. My favorite player for my team is number 57, Dre Greenlaw. And um, it's not that I'm not for everybody on my team because I am, but I'm invested in Dre because of his story of surviving, not just surviving, but thriving from the decrepit and broken foster care system in our country, of which some of you know I worked many years within the foster care system, and now everyone in this space knows that as well. And so because he is such a hero to me because of his surviving and thriving out of the foster care system, I love number 57. So you want me to believe that Dre Greenlaw, who survived the foster care system in this country, a broken systemically racist, but very horrible system to all the children that have to be in it. And all the rest of the guys on the field that have their own story is going to intentionally throw the game of his life on Sunday under some deep state conspiracy to get Joe back into the White House. I mean, it disgusts me to no end. It, it literally disgusts me to no end. And so their hatred of Taylor Swift, and so I always have to bring this up because people always want to like justify it. You must be a Swifty. You must be. No. No, I'm a woman. And the misogyny and the misogynoir and the war on women in our country right now is disgusting. There was an AI-generated video of her going around on Twitter that 
looked just like her, apparently. Many people, many of our mutuals saw it and tweeted about it. And it had her being gang raped. Gang raped. Trigger warning. I apologize for anyone that's in the space that I didn't do content warning first before I discussed that. I apologize. Had her being gang raped. Why is that appropriate? Why is that appropriate to shut out a video where you have shown someone being gang raped because you have decided she is your enemy because she politically votes for the other party? She's helping people get registered to vote. There is a war on women right now in our country. There is a war on children right now in our country. While they're fighting about all these other things, the number one killer of children in our country is still guns. And we can't get an assault weapons ban, a.k.a. Mickey mentioned about if we would have voted Democrat for the last 12 years. And all that's true. But actually, in 2022, if people would have just voted so that President Biden would have gotten his 52 pickup like he and Madam Vice President asked for, we would have already had the George Floyd and Policing Act. We would have already had the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And we could have an assault weapons ban right now. But folks couldn't be bit, couldn't even be bothered to give them 52 pickup in the Senate. That was too much. There's a war on LGBTQ plus people, especially in Florida. I have a family member, a deeply close family member that I'm deeply close to, that is a member of the trans community. And due to the new bill that Florida just dropped last week around the driver's licenses, that means they're going back to make sure that every single trans person is erased. It's a trans erasure bill so that even if your driver's license has been changed to show that you identify right now as your gender, so I am the gender that I identify with as, as on my license, I identify as a female, I live my life as a female, and that's what my driver's license shows, or I identify as a male, I live as a male, and that's what my driver's license shows. Now Florida is going to take all that away from all of the trans people in that state. This um, very close family member of mine um, is now having to leave the state. The um, LGBTQ map came out for um, human rights violation and um, the state of Florida is highlighted as do not travel, do not be here anymore if you are a trans individual. There's a war on trans people happening in our country. So there are all these wars happening on people right now and right now there's an actual war on the Super Bowl. And, you know, people can ha-ha about it and keep bringing her name up and keep talking about who she's dating and keep talking about, you know, the Chiefs are going to win and she's going to endorse Joe at halftime or down when they get the Lombardi trophy. And I, I don't want to hear anything about it anymore because to me it's actually threatening our democracy. And what's really fascinating about this border situation right now is that all these white people that are blocking this so that Trump can run on it or whatever their argument is, is that, you know, <laughs> as we know, immigrants or migrant people are not the problem that they're making them out to be because there's a war on migrants right now. There's a war on immigrants right now. It's a war. 
And I just want to land on this to say that going back to Danny and the fourth estate, that all of these white people that are doing all of this, let's be very clear during Black History Month, they are doing all of this because they are upholding white supremacy. There is no other excuse for any of it. It doesn't matter how they tie it up, what bow they wrap it in, what wrapping paper they use. It is all white supremacy. Anyone who is standing with the GOP, anyone who is standing behind Trump, anyone who is standing with Nikki Haley is standing behind in, um, white supremacy. Any white person who is claiming to be a Democrat at this point in time and is telling you they are not going to vote for Joe Biden for whatever pious reason they are telling you is standing with white supremacy. I said what I said. What is very concerning is that all of these culture war issues that um, these white people are standing behind can be disproven for the fear that is stoking. The number one killer of white people is other white people. <laughs> the number one rapist of white people is other white people. The number one child predator and sex predator of white people's children is other white people. But yet... They put all these false people out here to be scared of and afraid of who is not hurting them. And where do they get all that from? Fox News. All of these are lies coming from Fox News. And they bought into this. And so they war on everybody else when the number one person that they should be afraid of is actually other white people. But they're going to go vote. I want that to be very clear. They're going to go vote. All these white people filled with this hatred and this bigotry, enough that they're willing to destroy the Super Bowl, they're going to go vote. But yet, us, the Democratic Party, do we love women enough to stop this war on women where we've already lost autonomy and our reproductive health? Do we love members of the LGBTQ community enough? Do we love migrants and immigrants enough? Do we love children enough? Or are we going to be mad about one particular issue or this particular issue that we're going to, you know, put our head in the sand and have a tantrum like we did in the midterms? And decide, I'm mad about this, and so, you know, I'm not going to go vote for Joe again. Only individuals can answer that. I certainly know that most of the people in good trouble know what they're going to do. But it very much concerns me with the primaries on March 5th, one month away from today, to see the level of voter disinformation, voter depression, voter suppression, and voter disengagement that's on this, on this bird app. And certainly the amount of that that's came from MSNBC over the weekend. Um, so with that, um, for those of you that do watch the Super Bowl, because I will be watching since my team does happen to be one of the teams, I don't believe there's a deep state conspiracy to have one team win over the other. Um, and um, I hope everybody else continues to have a good week. Thank you so much, of course, Miss D and Soul Sister for the time. And with that, I will land my plane. Well, thank you so much um, for um, really um, bringing um, to the conversation um, a real um, issue that is happening and how the media is um, using um, otherwise um, kind of um, events that have traditionally, as you said, brought us together. And, you know, I remember being overseas um, in the military family watching Whitney Houston and just um, feeling just um, 
all kinds of, of awesome for that. And in fact, you know, dating myself, uh, it was so awesome that, you know, I videotaped it and I had that tape forever and forever and played it because it was, was amazing. But thank you so much uh, for, you know, like, again, just another reminder of how uh, these narratives are, are, are shaping up around cultural things that um, are designed to um, split us apart um, and can be very destructive to our democracy. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day, coming in um, to share with us as always. And um, up next, we're going to be wrapping up, folks, and I thank you all for being here with us today, joining us. And I am going to allow um, two of our, our speakers earlier today to give us some closing thoughts and, and wrap things up. And we'll start with Geechee, then Mark, and then, of course, uh, my fabulous co-host. <laughs> yes. Uh, first, allow me th to speak again. Thank you for that. Uh, just basically, I want to wrap up with we still have work to do. Um, polls don't vote. Um, polls are just a snapshot of what voting is like right now. There are no screens to these polls, so we're not seeing registered voter, likely voter, and most people aren't paying attention to that anyway. So that's basically we need to get out and vote. And um, by doing that, that means we have to contact voters. That could be by text, by, um, by phone banking, or by knocking on doors. We have to contact voters. The What elections is hasn't changed from 1776 until now, well, I guess it has. There are texting and phone banking now, but knocking on doors being very effective. So it's really important that we are willing to do the work. Uh, I'm going to start. I've already reached out already to try to get um, phone bank opportunities and texting opportunities for us. I'll probably lightly post stuff, but like after um, Labor Day, when everyone starts paying attention, I'm going to start posting that stuff out of control. That way, we can call people in. Arizona, Nevada, Montana, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio, um, what state am I missing? Um, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Those are the only states that are in play. Two of three of those states are only in play. Be, uh, excuse me, two of those states are only in play because of the Senate race. We're going to keep the Senate, but again, that's going to take a lot of work to make that happen. And I look forward to working with all y'all getting that done. Again, thank you, Dee, and thank you, Soul Sister. And also thank all the wonderful speakers. And also, I want to give another special shout out to Danny. I really miss the fourth estate. I'm not going to keep saying that, but I really miss it. And you did one, you and, Dee, and Don did a wonderful job with that. Thank you so much, Geechee. And I look forward to, um, you know, the... Um, text and phone banking information that you share with us and we can all find a place uh, to get involved somewhere. And as I've said so many times that this is the election of our lives. None of us can afford to sit on the bench. Um, it's all hands on deck and whatever it is that you can do, you know, like everybody can't do everything but we can all do something. And this is um, the time that calls for us to all be doing something uh, to contribute to saving our democracy. So thank you again for uh, the work that you do uh, around that. And we'll be looking forward to that information. And I know you will share it with us and we will jump on board. So um, Mark, you're up next. 
Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. I enjoyed uh, today's space as much as I uh, was on. And especially if you accidentally heard me hit the mic button with cocoa melon and pizza for my one-year-old daughter um, earlier. I apologize uh, to Geechee for that, but um, you may hear cocoa melon in the background now, but uh, it's been a good show. I like the integration of, uh, and I use that word on purpose, of of our current status to uh, some some of the history that we talked about today, and it's one of my favorite topics, obviously. Um, and I and I think it's it, it it bodes well to what I'm about to say because the twenty in this 2024 election season, uh, we're at a critical juncture um, as we've been talking about uh, in advocacy arena for a long time uh, in our American democracy, spotlighting the ongoing challenges and the and the urgent need to preserve the rule of law in our democratic institutions. Um, especially, you know, kind of guided or, or spotlighting, spotlighted upon the legal proceedings of, of this former president who not only test, is testing the resilience of our democracy, but as I talked about Charles Houston earlier, it echoes a historical fight for justice reminiscent of Charles Houston's battle for a battle against systemic racial injustices. So the two cases I talked about earlier today, Mur Murray versus Pearson and Gaines versus Canada. Um, it, it highlighted a, a profound commitment to the rule of law and equality, which is what he fought for. Um, and that laid the groundwork for, again, Brown versus Board of Education, um, showcasing the legal system's power to foster social change and create equality in our country for us. Um, and so I, that brings me to, as to the face uh, to, to today where we face a different challenge, though it echoes the same it echoes the same sentiment. Uh, these legal issues surrounding the president, a former president, the spread of misinformation and the, the erosion of democratic norms, as we see today with regard to this border bill uh, that's, that Republicans wanted three months ago, but now they don't want it. Um, these are formidable, op formidable obstacles for us that we have to overcome. Um, but they're also a reaffirmation of the principles that Charles Houston championed, justice and informed citizenship and the integrity of our democratic framework. Um, so as we navigate these these times, uh, you know, I really do truly believe that, and I'm glad you asked me uh, to talk about Charles Houston. I think his legacy urges us to confront the spread of this misinformation on our digital platforms, and the and specifically the undermining of our democratic norms and the preservation of our of the public trust in our in our institutions, which, as you can see, one party is trying to destroy every day. Um, the way they talk, uh, the way they vote, um, and what they stand for. Um, and it demands a robust defense of the rule of law and the commitment to the democratic ideals that define our nation, because they are what preserves us and our existence in this country. Um, so as I close out, in, in preserving the essence of our representative democratic republic, I love saying that, y'all, because that's what we are. We're not a true democracy. We're a representative democratic republic. We have to draw on the lessons that Charles Houston taught us in his life about the foundational values of what he fought for. And in this election that's coming up, it's more important than ever. I know we say that almost every election, but every election, it gets more dire since the last election in 2016. It has gotten more dire. Every single year is more dire because we, are, we, we see that there's opposition to the institutions that we know that preserve our livelihood. Um, we have to reaffirm and strengthen the pillars of American democracy for not just ourselves, but for my daughter, who I gave pizza to today. Um, and so as we face these challenges head on um, and honor the legacy of people I talked about today, like Charles Houston, who paved the way and ensured the resilience and vitality of our democrat democratic institutions, we also have to do the same thing. And I know we do it week to week when we talk in advocacy arena. 
but we have to spread this message even beyond um, our our little chamber. I don't think it's an echo chamber. I think we learn from each other all the time and talk about something new. So um, I would, you know, you know, I would confront anybody who says it's an echo chamber because I like to learn from the different perspectives every week. But I also like to draw on history. Um, and I think, uh, you know, in in our in our African heritage, um, it's been said that our ancestors our ancestors are still alive, and we draw up on them um, to guide us into the future. So as we talk about people like, um, I did another report on Gordon Parks uh, when I was a kid, and we draw we draw up on people like Charles Houston, uh, Gordon Parks who captured uh, the civil rights movement through his eye, and Charles Houston who laid the groundwork uh, for legal resilience in the face of of um, injustice um, and, and unequal treatment. As we draw up on them, there are guides to our, to our future and, and lay the pathwork and lay, have laid the pathwork for us to follow through and do the things that we need to do, not only to preserve democracy, but ensure that there's equality and equity um, in our future. And that's what we're fighting for in 2024. Um, it's as simple as that. Um, it, it, it is our livelihood, it is our perseverance, and it is our love of ourselves and our existence in this country that keeps us going. So another great space for Advocacy Arena. Um, I love Tracy Chapman. So that's why I ended the last part with, I feel like I belong here. And I, I do feel like I belong here. I think we 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 belong here. Um, and so I'm so glad that we were surprised last night with that beautiful rendition. I went on a three mile jog today and all I played was that song, uh, the different versions of it throughout the years. So um, made me happy. Um, I think we're in some we're in we're in some good we're in for some good times, y'all. I mean, we're, I'm not I'm not desperate, I'm not scared, um, I'm excited and I'm energized by everybody here, and then also about you know like our past and where we've come from and and, the, and where we're where we're bound to go. Um, so let's go, y'all. Let's go. Awesome. Well, I just want to thank you guys um, for coming and sharing with us today. And um, that was a beautiful close, uh, Mark. I appreciate it as always. You tying in the historical figures and um, and the law, um, and you always do it so eloquently, but um, also in um, a language that's easy for us to grasp and understand. You do that so beautifully. And again, I just feel blessed that we are able to. Um, to hear it. And thank you for coming back up to give us some closing thoughts. And uh, I hope uh, the pizza is being enjoyed and Coco Melon as well. Yes, I have a little one who enjoys that too. So, um, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know Coco Melon by heart. Almost, almost every episode. If anybody ever, you know, needs any um, <laughs> advice on Coco Melon and what episodes are really good, I, I have all that information. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, yes, my granddaughter in uh, Atlanta, that is her um, favorite. And, and my son, he, he's a girl dad. So he, like you, he knows them all too. And uh, she got a special treat to go to a park where, you know, Coco Mellon was uh, the featured character there in New Jersey uh, uh, for her birthday last year. So, yeah, um, I wasn't even aware of Coco Mellon until she came along. So. <laughs> Um, thank you again so very much. And with that, I am going to uh, give my fabulous co-host an opportunity to share some closing thoughts with us. Well, here we are again um, after another great space. It, 
you know, we had some very sage words from LMZ. We got great information from so many people who contributed today. And Mark, you said something um, that ties right into what I'm going to say. Um, earlier, I talked about the power of the union. So here we are at this moment um, in this space where uh, there was breaking news that the Border Patrol Agents Union has endorsed the bipartisan deal. It is amazing. I'm very happy about it because this is just going to be another opportunity that will be missed by the Republicans. They will not support these men and women who um, risk their lives for us each and every day. So it's not just the union. It is, you know, an armed force. And uh, it is, it's sad. It's sad. If they continue with this idea that they're going to vote down this bill and not even give it any air or um, opportunity to be debated and voted on uh, in the House, it is going to be a detriment to us. And that is what happens when Republicans have control. They do not, do not legislate on behalf of the people that they are supposed to represent. And that is a problem. So um, we shall see how this all plays out. Uh, Jim Jordan is currently on Fox News, or it was just a, a bit ago, saying, let the American people decide in November. In November. This is a crisis. Remember? Remember it's a crisis? Crisis means urgency. It means needs immediate attention. But let's give it eight, nine more months and a little bit more than that before we do anything about it. Because they do not care about the American people, national security, or anything that benefits us. I'm sorry, I can't stress it enough. There is no excuse. I just really don't have patience to deal with people who try to tell me that there is some good to be had by voting Republican at this stage in time. I've always felt that way, but especially this stage in time, I have a big issue with it. I'm sorry. I just, I refuse to be okay with that. I also want to point out that um, today is Trayvon Martin's heavenly birthday. And, um, you know, I'm reminded of tragedy that could have that could happen to my own son and it is heartbreaking that we're still in the same place progress has not moved the way it should because some people are mad that Barack Obama was elected twice in this country On a happier note, it is also Jamie Harrison's birthday today, so let's celebrate that. 
And I also want to make sure that we continue celebrating women who are in leadership positions. Um, it, there is an article posted in the Nest um, celebrating Crystal Spain in South Carolina, Danielle Monroe Marino in Nevada, and Lavora Barnes in Michigan as state party chairs. I cannot express enough how important it is that we continue to celebrate not just Black women, but Black voices, Black achievements, and Black history, because it is our history, and it is progressive. If we want to talk about progressive, let's talk about that. Women who in our everyday lives that we meet our heroes, like Dr. Marshall. It is amazing the task that she's undertaken to preserve her family's history, to preserve black history in such a way. I mean, it's a cumbersome job. I, I just hats off and applause and still have time to offer wisdom, not just stories of the past, but wisdom to this space, to this group, to this community. And I, I can't thank her enough. I love you, Dr. Marshall. Um, I'm sorry that I was having technical issues earlier, I dropped out, but um, glad that I was able to get back on. And we won't be stopped. That's one thing, we don't give up. This is a community that believes in continuing to try and to move forward. So I am proud to be part of it. And I am anxious and excited to see what we accomplish during this election season. Um, thank you, Geechee, for saying that you're going to be posting about um, opportunities to uh, text bank and phone bank and um, not just in our own states, but other states across the country and helping us mobilize. It was very effective last year. I think that, or not last year, but last um, election season. And I, I, I really look forward to doing it again. It's my way of contributing. Um, I'm not a postcard person though. I did just did find that out. That was crazy. I cannot do that, but um, I will do other. <laughs> I will definitely be doing my part. My time is uh, very invested in this election, and um, I know everyone here feels the same way. Thank you, Dee, for um, having the fortitude and the determination to make sure that we have spaces that are informative, spaces that move us forward, spaces that give us hope, faces that give us facts and information, face, spaces that, that, that give us advice on how to deal with um, some of the stressors that comes along with being in this fight for democracy and um, protecting our freedoms. And I am humbled to sit beside you each and every week. I appreciate you so much and I cannot stress that enough. Thank you guys so much. Well, thank you um, again. Um, I am glad that um, I found you 
and glad that you um, agreed to be my co-host. Um, you have been a, a blessing to me and to this space. And I want to take this opportunity to thank each and every speaker that we had who contributed to this wonderful conversation today. Those of you who I asked in advance to kind of prepare or look at something and share with me, like Joseph and T-Bug and Mark and Geechee and, and Danny and um, the rest of those um, who came up and shared very valuable information like Sweet Pea and Cher and Mickey and Carl and just Maggie. You guys are what um, keep me coming back um, because we're not going to be deterred. And certainly LMZ, like, you know, the information that you share gives me um, hope. Um, and inspiration because I do believe that we learn from one another. And um, as Mark said, it is not an echo chamber. This is a place where we get informed. Uh, we all happen to understand the importance of democracy. So in that respect, uh, I think it may be an echo chamber, but um, I think that uh, we all understand the importance of what's at stake in this election. And certainly um, all of the great uh, Black history information that was shared by Dr. Marshall, um, I um, am always uh, blown away by her wealth of knowledge and her generosity in sharing it and also her work to preserve it uh, for historical purposes for generations to come. It is so, so uh, important. And um, I want to also remind you guys, because, you know, it really is Black history, 365 days of the year. Um, but I want to give you some things to look at. I mean, you probably have things that you are looking at, but some great documentaries that I have watched um, uh, that have really inspired me. One that is coming out, uh, and I'm looking forward to that, Bob Marley. But uh, one that I watched uh, recently called Invisible Beauty, and this is um, regarding the fashion industry, which we're all kind of affected by, believe it or not. Uh, it, too, had it own, its own movement. And uh, Bethann, who is the uh, boss lady and, and the awesome mom of uh, Kareem Hardison, uh, a trailblazer, truly. We would not have had the... Um, Inmans and the uh, Naomi Campbells and Tara Banks and, and so, so many others um, if it were not for the work of Beth Ann. So do yourself a favor and watch that uh, Invisible Beauty. It is on Hulu. Uh, Pieces I Am, um, Toni Morrison, a, a truly wonderful writer and also uh, the uh, genius MLK slash X um, is a great um, documentary as well. Um, and so I just want to um, put that out there for you guys and to also um, to um, keep calling out um, the media, uh, amplifying the good work that they do and calling out the false narratives and the misinformation and the disinformation that they do and to um, use um, your the the purse strings to um, and, and um, your engagement and tuning out of those who are not um, 
doing us a um, a service because they really are a very important part of this uh, democratic republic, this constitutional republic, the fourth estate. It's in the constitution, and shame on those who do not take uh, that um, that duty seriously, um, and who are looking at it only in terms of um, you know opportunistic grifting, and. Um, we're going to have to create our own sources of media. And that is one of the reasons why I continue to, you know, hold this space so that we can uh, share and amplify um, good news. And again, you know, Carl pointed out some um, great um, media sources that we can look at. And as I said, always um, NPR and PBS, um, great sources. Blaze Ganey is doing a great series on um, the travesty of democracy that is happening in my um, hometown right now, which, you know, Taylor Swift uh, um, is an alumni of, of that school system, and she is still very much involved in the community there. And I, um, let me see. Also, I will be reporting next week because we have our State of the State address uh, going on here um, this week. So I will be reporting on that. They are trying to actually um, push this um, voucher program, um, which is, um, you know, a travesty and is uh, not going to improve our educational system. And, and that is not what it's intended to do. Again, it's another way of grifting and profiting uh, and um, advancing the Project 2025 agenda, privatizing everything. So I'll keep you guys posted on what comes out of there. Um, and um, there was um, one other thing. I, I didn't find um, the article to put in the nest, but I will be putting it on my timeline because we know that the um, white Christian nationalism is really kind of front and center of the agenda of the other side. And it, uh, I'm heartened to know that there are people who are true Christians um, who are pushing back against their own. Um, and that is important for us to do. There um, are people who are uh, speaking out against this people trying to pervert their faith. And um, it's important uh, for us to call out our own as some of us called out some of the bad reporting and bad faith efforts of some in our own community. And it was great that we had that breaking news about um, the Border Patrol uh, Union in, in the space. It's so awesome that we always get a little breaking news while we're here. I think that's kind of divine. And speaking of my own state, uh, just today, we, um, I saw a story where our governor is sending more of our National Guard down to the border. You know, and I'm so glad that I do not have um, family members currently serving in the National Guard because many of them have. Uh, and I was part of them at one time. And so I will keep you posted on how that turns out. Because, again, like you say, is it really a crisis if you can afford to wait until November when a plan um, is being offered right now here today? It really shows the truth of, of what they're doing. They are not um, playing in good faith. It is simply a, 
a manufactured agenda. I'm not saying there are not issues there, but they're making it a crisis to fit the narrative um, for them to campaign on. And again, um, with that, I am just going to leave you with some encouraging words. Of course, always um, the late great representative John Lewis, but today in honor of one of my um, uh, civil rights movement icons and sheroes, um, Ella Baker, which Geechee talked about, uh, very simple words from her, which I think um, are as inspiring as I find um, Representative John Lewis's words. And she says, give light and people will find the way. So that's what I seek to do um, every week with you guys is, is to give light, to give information. And in the words of the late great representative John Lewis, do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble necessary trouble. So I just want to thank you all for coming and getting in good trouble with Soul Sister and I every week and always, always making noise um, and bringing light um, to the issues that we face. Our democracy depends on it. And as Mark said, I know people get tired of hearing that, you know, this election is very important. You know, our democracy depends on it. And we're truly at the crisis point now, because as he said, um, it's always important, but because these things are not addressed uh, in all the ways that they should be each year, each election becomes more dire and more dire. And this is where we are now. But I know you guys understand that. I want to thank you all for being here, participating, those who uh, provided uh, content and, and took part in the conversation. And those of you who um, were part of the audience and listening, and that is so important to us because I know that you are taking this in, you will be sharing it somewhere, if not on your timeline, in your real life. And I want to encourage you to share and retweet the space because it is recorded. Um, and um, it is very important for us to amplify good information and good messaging when and where we can. And one thing that I also forgot, I will um, kind of retweet that and put it um, uppermost in my timeline. But I did mention to you guys that uh, pods is um, now available on on spoutable and i had a test pod on friday and some of you joined me i want to thank you for that and I'll keep, yeah i'll keep testing it out and playing with it because i we know that this guy here on this app is trying to stop good conversations like we have in this space every week and we're just looking for all the ways that we can we're not putting all of our eggs in any one basket uh so i just want to let you know that if something should happen here um, we have a place to go and we are, are building roads and off ramps uh, so that we are not stuck wondering. And Geechee is talking about using Slack and other things. So we all understand what's at stake and we are making plans because we will not be deterred. So with that, I just want to thank you all once again and leave you with peace and blessings for a wonderful week. Keep making noise and getting in good trouble. So. 
I'll see you back here next week uh, for some more good trouble. And I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful week ahead.